Tank Night Owl Live, the show for PC users who can handle the truth. And now, here's your host, Gene Steinberg. This week on the Tech Night Out Live, we'll be featuring Adam Inkst of Tidbits and Take Control Books, and also Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com. We'll talk about ongoing speculation about whether Apple's going to produce such an animal as the iWatch. You can believe it or not. All this and more this week on the Tech Night Owl Live. <laughs> Do you recall, Adam Inks, whether Steve Jobs ever made it to the State of the Union address to sit in the box with like a first lady or something? I have to admit that that falls squarely into the Academy Awards level of things that I don't really pay any attention to. <laughs> well, I know the media made a big deal that Tim Cook was seated there this week and that Obama, during his State of the Union address, in talking about bringing production back to America, mentioned Apple building Macs here. Well, that's certainly, you know, kind of an, an interesting trend. We wrote an article recently based on, I think it was in the Atlantic, an article about GE bringing manufacturing back to the U.S., in part because what they discovered was that when you're manufacturing things overseas, compromises get made, things get changed, it, you know, it has to be done in a way that totally unskilled uh, workers can do. And so G, they give this example of this, I think it was a, a water heater that, you know, G decides they're going to make it, make it in, you know, their, their American plants again. And so they, but they need to redo the assembly lines. And so when they actually sit down to do that, they realize that, well, it doesn't make any sense to build this thing in this way. And they end up redesigning it completely and end up making it both faster to build and cheaper to build and more functional. But basically, it was the excuse to sit down and say, why are we doing this? So that was, I thought, just a truly fascinating look at moving things offshore is sort of nominally cheaper, but not necessarily in the long run or if you come at it with the right idea. Well, the one thing, of course, is you have to ship the thing from thousands of miles away. And in a case like a Mac Pro, we're talking about a 40-pound computer. And even if Apple in the next model brings it down to 25 or 30 pounds, that's a big box to ship. Yeah, that's absolutely true. There are certain expenses which you cannot escape. Shipping, obviously, is one of the really, really big ones. But you also have to spend a whole lot of time and effort over at those factories, making sure they're doing what you want. And there's a lot of iteration from people I've talked to who've built things in China, you know, where they build something and show it to you and you're like, nope, not good enough, or you did this wrong. So it takes a long time to be able to get to the point where they can put out the widget exactly the way you want the widget to be built. It's not cheap to fly to China and spend time there. And so if you're a small company, you can spend a whole lot of your budget on travel and hotel and all of that dealing with China just to save some money on the manufacturing. Whereas if it was here, you could see the problem right away and solve it with a 10-minute car trip as opposed to a you know multi-day plane trip. The other thing is, of course, if you're a PC maker and your PC is essentially the same as other PCs using generic parts, it's not a big deal. But when it comes to all the custom manufacturing processes in which Apple is engaged, they literally have to develop the process working with like a Foxconn 
the company in Asia. And that's the one issue that I think Tim Cook mentioned is that these sophisticated manufacturing processes, they're skilled at doing that stuff. So they can put together in months where it may be very difficult or costly to do that here. It's not just the workers. It's setting up the plant to build what you want. And I think that's a skill probably that's been lost, that probably those skills, we had those skills, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. There are probably people who still understand how to do that, but, you know, the world has moved on such that we're building iPhones with tolerances of, you know, a tenth of a millimeter, which is probably a bit different than building, you know, even water heaters where, you know, yeah, it needs to look okay, but, you know, if there's an off by a tenth of a millimeter, no one's going to notice. So I do think that there are some changes there that would need to be made, but there is also a certain level of when, when unemployment is as high as it is in this country, it's a little hard to go on about how, oh, it's so much cheaper to build everywhere else because, you know, you couldn't possibly find anyone willing to work for, you know, a lower wage here. I mean, obviously, you, there are certain minimum wage laws, but, you know, people are still willing to work more than not. Well, the issue, of course, is that the difference in wages is just one small part of the cost of production and not the biggest part. It's parts, it's the manufacturing, it's the production lines, it's shipping, there's a lot of other stuff. And if Apple has to pay $15, $20 an hour to somebody as opposed to, what, $3 an hour by Foxconn, they keep increasing those wages. In the end, the difference is not that significant, especially if they're building, you know, one worker could be responsible for a robotic assembly plant that makes many computers in that one hour. I think it's also people don't always realize that just because things are fabricated or manufactured in in China doesn't mean that all of the parts even come from China. So, you know, the generic parts for a white box PC might, but if it's something more complicated, it might have to be built here, shipped to China, put into an iPhone or a Mac Mac Pro, and then shipped back. You know, there's double dipping on that shipping as well. And a friend of mine actually has a small company building iPhone holders and stands and things like that in Silicon Valley. And he was saying that we don't think of Silicon Valley as being a manufacturing zone. Its reputation is for software. But in fact, there's a lot of manufacturing that's that's gone on in, in Silicon Valley. And and, you know, there's a lot of people who've done hardware there. And so I think we do have a lot of those skills and, and you know, capabilities around. It's just a matter of kind of surfacing them back out and, you know, and getting people thinking properly about it again. And don't forget, folks, that Apple, when it comes to the iPhone, they're getting their processors built now. I think they're going to switch that, but built now by Samsung in Texas. And then, yeah. of course, they've got Gorilla Glass, which is from America. And I'm going to talk about something new with Gorilla Glass that may create the possibility of a new product very shortly. But the thing is here, a lot of those parts are built in America, so why not make the whole Mac? Are you agreeing with me? Probably it'll be the Mac Pro that gets first digs at being built here? It certainly seems to be what everyone's talking about. It doesn't sound as though it would make sense for Apple to do any of the other products from the simple fact that they've already got assembly lines designed to do them in China with Foxconn or whoever. So the Mac Pro hasn't seen an industrial design update in, what, four years or something? It's been a long, long time, maybe even longer than that. If they're going to do a significant change, now is the time to do it. And a relatively low-volume product like the Mac Pro is a good one to start with because it's not something like the iPhone where they know they're going to need hundreds of millions of, of units in the you know in you know in a year. Well, maybe not hundreds of millions, but certainly millions of 
upon millions of units of the iPhone 5S or whatever they come out with next, you know, that wouldn't make sense to do as a test case. Do it with something where you can, you know, start slow, ramp up, see how those those plants work. I mean, I still remember camera, I have to think when it, when it actually was, but it was a very big deal that the Mac was made by, you know, ro- robotic assembly plants in California early on. You know, Apple made a big fuss about that. So, you know, they're really coming back around to where they used to be in that regard. Get back to where you once belonged. <laughs> Anything about Tim Cook's presentation that was more than just a standard Apple stuff? I haven't paid a huge amount of attention to this, but it strikes me, you know, the headline that I saw is, you know, Apple will not make a lousy product. I didn't see the exact context of that, but I think Apple has been making some pretty lousy products when it comes to software for a while now. You know, the hardware has been pretty good. I have not been seeing any issues with the hardware, but the software definitely seems to be the the part of the dog that is getting wagged um, whether or not it wants to be. Well, that's something we're going to talk about in a few minutes, but there was one thing there about keeping the prices or being judicious about looking for low prices in his comments. And then we find the next day that Apple cuts the price on some configurations of the MacBook Pro with Retina display. So that is interesting. What's also interesting is we have Adam Inks with us. He's from Tidbits and Take Control Books. And of course, Take Control Books are these e-books, which are just fabulous because you buy the book and then you get the free updates until the next major version. It's kind of like software, isn't it, folks? But it's very reliable software. In any case, we'll be back with more. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out live. Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill a minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Classic science fiction at its best. Available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Hi, this is Peter Kronstrommel from Midas Resources. As you know, federal government spending is at an all-time high, and inflation will be a direct result of the spending policy. European government and central bank spending policies have put the European Union on the brink of collapse. What are you doing right now to protect yourself financially? Are your assets working for you or against you? One thing is certain. Having physical possession of gold and silver will guarantee that no matter what happens to our economy or the dollar, your investment will never be worthless. It will protect you from that hidden tax, inflation. If you've been thinking about investing in physical possession of precious metals or having an IRA in precious metals, I can help. Call me today, Peter Kronschnabel, at 800-686-2237, extension 108. And I'll take the time to personally put together a portfolio designed to protect what you've worked so hard for. Call 800-686-2237, extension 108. You've worked hard your whole life, and I want to work hard for you. Call Peter at 800-686-2237, extension 108. 
Is this the year you finally get serious about your family's drinking water? If so, keep listening for a special offer from Big Berkey Water Filters. Did you know that over 60% of municipal water is fluoridated? Berkey Water Filters distinguish themselves from many other filtration systems with the capability to significantly reduce dangerous chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, and disinfection byproducts from municipal water via the Black Berkey and PF line of filters. Then there's affordability. At only 1.7 cents per gallon, Berkey Water Filters purify treated and untreated water, even stagnant pond water. Stop and think how much money you could save by simply reducing buying bottled water and using water filtered by your Berkey water filter. No need to be constantly replacing expensive filters with a Berkey. A single set of filters can last for 5 to 10 years. Choose the best size Berkey for your needs at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. And right now, all GCN listeners get 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Just call 1-877-99-BERKEY. That's 877-99-BERKEY. Or visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. Free shipping on every order over $50. Big Berkey Water Filters. For the love of clean water. Heart and Body Extract continues to receive positive testimonials from people who have experienced amazing results, like Reed. I just wanted to send you a quick but a very big thank you for Heart and Body Extract. I've been on the formula for nearly a month now, and the improvement in the circulation of my legs has been simply amazing. Reed was facing a tough choice. I was facing surgery due to the severity of a 100% blocked artery in both my legs. And my decision, waiting for surgery to say no and try heart and body extract instead, has been thankfully the right decision. And the result? I can now walk up steps without noticeable pain. Order heart and body extract at 866-295-5305. 866-295-5305. Or hbextract.com. Heart and body extract for a long and healthy life. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, please send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. If you'd like to discuss today's show with fellow Night Owls, visit our community forums at forum.technightowl.com. That's forum.technightowl.com. On the Tech Night Owl Live with Gene Steinberg, we have Adam Inks of Tidbits and Take Control Books. So I was remarking before about the fact that we have this unexpected change in the MacBook Pro with Retina display. The basic configurations are cheaper. The high-end configurations of the 15-inch model are more powerful, and the most expensive one has more memory. So Apple's giving more value. Is this an indication that maybe MacBooks are not in high demand, or Apple's just taking advantage of better pricing? Well, it is interesting because it is entirely within Apple's tradition to increase the processing power, amount of RAM, that kind of thing, on a particular model and do so relatively quietly. Oh, it's just better, faster, more powerful, but we didn't change anything about the industrial design or put in reports or anything else like that. But usually Apple does not drop the price at the same time. And I think the reason for that is simply that what that enables Apple to do is as the product becomes more mature, it allows Apple to increase their margins, that they've gotten a better deal on RAM, they're, they're getting the faster processors you know, at a, at a good deal, so they can put those in and make more money for the same thing. Now, as to why they f- suddenly dropped the price on this... You know, obviously, there's no way to know for sure. It seems more likely that 
they were tr- trying to kind of find the appropriate sweet spot for each of the different models. I mean, Apple sells a lot of models of laptop right now, and it's possible that the pricing wasn't differentiating them quite the way they wanted. Well, the other thing that might be a consideration here is the fact that the cost of the spare parts is just less, that solid-state drives are cheaper, that the retina display especially is less expensive to build, especially the smaller one, and therefore they could still get good margins and keep the price down. Yeah, I said they, it's certainly possible, although that's not been Apple's trend in the past. Apple really doesn't drop prices on things in the middle. You know, they will occasionally, you know, introduce a new product, a significantly new version of something and say, and look at how impressive we are. We've managed to do so at a lower price than previously done before. So it's just hard to say. I mean, there's no real way of knowing why Apple does this stuff without knowing their exact margins and what other pressures may be on that particular business. In this particular case, Apple's under a certain level of pressure because the stock price is down, their perceptions that Apple may or may not have some problems. And if they can take advantage of a lower price, there's another benefit too. Customer resistance will be dealt with more readily. Yeah. And, you know, again, as I said, they, they have a, a whole bunch of laptops. I mean, there's the 11 and 11 and 13-inch Airs, there's the 13-inch MacBook Pro, and then the version 13-inch for the Retina display, and the 15. And so we're, we're getting to a point where there's there's just a bunch of models. And so they may really need to have tweaked the pricing around within that range so that people are buying, maybe buying the ones with the best margins. Who, who knows? It's, it's a little hard to tell at this point. Honestly, most of the people I talk to do not buy a particular Mac based on price. They usually buy based on functionality or you know design design desires so uh, you know in the in the macbook line you know you're usually deciding whether you want it to be as you know as thin as possible in terms of an air or as powerful as possible in terms of a macbook pro and then you kind of refine based on other other variables in terms of size or power ports and things like that looking at apple's products and everything everybody's been speculating on products for this year you're not the kind of guy who likes to speculate much on products so I'm going to ask you just one very simple thing here. This story has come alive this week because of reports that Corning, who makes Gorilla Glass, has this flexible glass product they come out with. And now we're hearing reports that Apple has 100 engineers working on a so-called iWatch. Does the world need an iWatch? Or maybe we all have nostalgia in our gut and we are thinking about Dick Tracy and his wrist radio. We all want to be like Dick Tracy in the 1930s. I actually am a, a huge fan of the watch concept. And, you know, we have um, the examples of like the Pebble watch. There was a big debacle with the Starfish watch at Macworld, which was promised and never really showed. And when it did sort of show, it turned out that it didn't really do anything. And so, you know, but I, I think that what I find compelling about the watch form factor is that it brings computing closer to where you really are. That, you know, for me, I've always got my iPhone in my pocket. And that works pretty well. But, you know, if I just want to check the time, it's actually a little bit fussier than when I wore a watch. I don't wear a watch anymore because I've always got the iPhone in my pocket. And I don't need to check the time all that often. But, 
if there was some combination of something that could use the iPhone's capabilities and provide some of that always available with a glance kind of information, then I think that would be a pretty powerful thing. And the other thing you have to remember is that, you know, yeah, we guys usually have pockets. Women often do not have pockets, and therefore their iPhones are in purses or get set down more frequently. They're just not as available, in my experience. For women, having an iWatch might be more attractive, again, because it would be something that would be attached to them um, and that they could wear without feeling really dorky because they've got this huge phone you know, sticking out of a way-too-small pocket or something. Well, that's one thing my wife remarks about. She currently has an older Motorola Razor phone, pretty compact phone. And I showed her the iPhone 4S, and she says, that's a bit too big for me. And I was thinking here, when I read this iWatch story, how widely focused would you set up the features? You'd have a watch, you'd have a phone, and some other basic feature phone stuff, but there's only so much you can do with a watch because you don't have the wider screen area, not going online with it. It's more communications than much of anything else. And very likely, you'd just have a small amount of memory, like four gigabytes. And you could, of course, make it like a small iPod. You can play your music on it. But this way, this becomes the cheap iPhone. Because something like this could be available for, what, two or $300, and thus becomes more affordable for the third world. Well, that's one way to look at it. Actually, what I've been looking at much more so is the concept that the watch is an alternative interface for an existing iPhone that you already have. That the watch is not attempting to build in all of the hardware that you would need to support everything that an iPhone can more or less do, or even that an iPod Nano can more or less do, and instead would, would basically be... Um, a peripheral for the iPhone. And that's a little bit of how the Pebble Watch works. So, you know, let's so, you know, a call comes in, you can, you know, you know, maybe the watch can vibrate. So one, it's a better way of learning you because it's on your wrist as opposed to in a pocket or in a purse or somewhere else. Um, and secondly, you can just glance at it to see who's calling and, you know, accept the call or reject the call. It can easily do Bluetooth as far as providing you know, hands-free. I mean, you we really are back at the Dick Tracy watch as far as being able to talk into it at that point. But that's, you know, I don't see that as being any significantly weirder than holding a phone up to your ear in public. You know, holding your wrist up to your to your mouth in public is no 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 different. We have Adam Ings some tidbits and take control books on the Tech Night Out Live. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hey, neighbors, got a small business or a large company that needs to be online 24-7? Well, here's the little secret. To make sure your site is always online, you need world-class DNS service from Dyne. That's D-Y-N. For years, Dyne has been helping companies ranging from the scrappy young startup to the giant media moguls of the world with making sure websites are fast and always available and that your emails are getting delivered. D-Y-N. Get faster internet by using Dyne for DNS. Visit Dyne.com slash podcast 30. Fill out the contact form or start shopping right away and save 30% by using the promo code PODCAST30 at checkout. 
Again, visit Dyn.com, that's D-Y-N.com, slash podcast30. Check them out today. I lost 18 pounds in just four days. Hi, I'm James Zetta. If you're like me, you've already tried and failed at many diet and weight loss plans. The 18 and 4 weight loss plan requires no exercising, no diet pills or additives, no laxatives, no meal replacements, and no diet drinks. The 18 and 4 program is crystal clear with a day-to-day, step-by-step, and meal-to-meal guide. If you're not satisfied with your results, I will give you my 30-day full money-back guarantee. Go to 18and4.com. That's the number 18, I-N, the number 4.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit and carting to a private bank, having it lent back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Hi, Ted Anderson. I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Are you still a traditional smoker? Now experience a new lifestyle and try vaping with e-cigarettes by LeSig. Imagine no ashes, stains, nasty smell, or coughing and hacking. With LeSig e-cigarettes revolutionary microelectronic technology, rechargeable battery, and unique replaceable cartridge, you'll get all the benefits and satisfaction of smoking without the hazards. Choose your taste from a wide variety of our new American-made vaporian e-liquids at LeSig.com. And LeSig smokes the competition by serving thousands of worldwide customers with real people customer service fast free same day shipping and a 30 day warranty and satisfaction guarantee so are you ready for a new vaping lifestyle then call 870-518-4307 that's 870-518-4307 or visit lesig.com spelled l-e-c-i-g.com lesig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker Hello? Congratulations. For what? For losing all that weight. How'd you do it so fast? ASAP. ASAP what? What's that mean? Are you ready to get as skinny as possible, as soon as possible, as simple as possible, and as sexy as possible? I'm listening. Then get with the ASAP program. It's real and it works. No smooth talk, no slick advertising, and no exaggerated claims of success. I've got to know more. Welcome to ASAP, as slim as possible. Whether you have 10, 20, or 50 pounds to lose, ASAP is your weight loss answer. ASAP targets the abnormal fat reserves and makes them available to be burned as fuel and contains no caffeine or hormones. Order ASAP at wholesale prices or join the team to share the business with others. Visit GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Lose weight and look great with ASAP, as slim as possible. Live with Gene Steinberg, it's the Tech Night Owl, because you never know what's going to happen next. With Gene Steinberg, Adam Ingst of Tidbits and Take Control Books, we're exploring briefly the possibility of an eye watch, and you're thinking of it as a peripheral So it would communicate then with your iPhone, which you'd still have to have in your pocket or purse, rather than just have it be a standalone. Is that what you're saying? 
Yeah, and as a, that way, for instance, a text message comes in, and you know, there's a quick risk flip to glance at it again, rather than kind of hauling your iPhone out of your pocket or purse, and then you wouldn't type on it at all. You would use Siri. And I've been increasingly impressed with Siri and iOS iOS 6. I think that Apple has been improving it quite a bit over time. And it's gotten to the point now where if you actually do a little bit of modification to learn how to talk to Siri in terms of getting your phrasing right and enunciating properly, you can get pretty good accuracy. And so I don't know that you'd want to have, you know, full-on conversation, or maybe you'd you know, need to acknowledge that you know, any errors are going to be Siri's fault because I'm not going to correct them. But you know, I think you could do pretty well that way. Well, you know, I kind of think here that the most flexible way to do this would be to make it at least a phone with a few other things and to get the rest of the features, have those features be available by docking or communicating by Bluetooth or whatever with your other devices. But I think the basic phone functionality ought to be kept to a separate device because then it becomes, as they say, nothing more than maybe a refined earpiece instead of having the earpiece you have it on your wrist. Yeah. It it may be. I don't have a sense of the engineering limitations in terms of how big it would have to be to have sufficient power and wireless access to do all those kinds of things. That's the other problem. I mean, I, I run with a, a Garmin Forerunner and an older one, and it's pretty beefy. And the newer ones are a little bit better, but they're still pretty good-sized watches to be able to put a GPS in there. And I just worry that to be able to put a phone and you know necessary battery life for all of that, that you're talking something which is really too big to comfortably wear. Well, the case, of course, is miniaturization, but also you take out the stuff that you don't need. You don't need LTE because it's probably not going to do data, except in a very limited degree. You certainly don't need to have the GPS and the gyroscope and all that. It's just a phone, a watch, and maybe an iPod. And that's it. You keep the feature set sharply focused so you're not cramming all that garbage in there. And maybe you make it solar-powered. Yeah, possible. I, it feels to me as though, for instance, like the the you know the the GPS and the accelerometer are the ki- are kinds of things that you would want in there if you possibly could, just from the standpoint of being able to do interesting things like have it recognize when you raise it to your mouth. You know, that's something that is is different when you want to have it being aware of the these kinds of uh, these kinds of functions. Remember, also, one of the largest consumers of battery life is the screen. And a much smaller screen means a lot less battery power is needed. You know what? This would obviously represent cutting-edge technology to get all that stuff, whatever it does, into the space of a relatively small watch. But it's intriguing. Do you think Apple's really trying to do it? I would be a little surprised if they weren't at least investigating it, that Apple is in a situation where I think they really need to be, they, they, they come up with a new product every you know three to five years now, and they need that product to be a big hit, and then they need to evolve it over time. And so I think they are very much looking for the next big thing after the iPad, and I, mean, I don't know, the iPad mini is quite that big of a deal, but you know, they really need to be looking at, well, what's the next thing we're going to do that goes beyond the iPhone and the iPad? So this might be it. 
will this be the next revolution rather than a full-size TV set, which I'm so skeptical about? Let's move yeah. to another subject. I guess you're skeptical about it too, right? Are you skeptical as I am about a full-size Apple TV? Yeah, I am. It, it doesn't feel as though Apple has that much they can really bring to it unless they're also going to open up the 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 TV to full-size TV apps. And and they could, but you know, that is a complete, you know, yet another platform that they would have to be supporting along with, you know, the i the iPhone size and the iPad size and 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 you wouldn't have a touch interface so they really need a they need some kind of an interface to that. Doesn't feel like we're quite there yet um, in an interesting way. Well, the other thing to consider here, too, is just how much stuff people want in their TV sets. In fact, in the very near future, we're going to review a mainstream, affordable, smart TV to see how smart it really is. Let's go into kind of the outgrowth of an interview we did in last week's show. Lloyd Chambers... He was the guy who brought us such apps as Disc Doubler and Auto Doubler in the late 80s and 1990s, longtime app developer who focuses on all this low-level stuff, files and interfaces and things like that. And he wrote a piece called Apple Core Rot, where he says Apple is failing at a lot of things, especially the software. And I gather, based on what you told me before we even get into the specifics of this article, that you agree with a lot of what he says. Yeah, I do. I really think that Apple has been not paying sufficient attention to the software in an effort, presumably, to get the hardware out on some type of a schedule. And we've just been seeing software that doesn't have the level of quality that, frankly, it should. What do you think are the biggest failings? Well, it's been a little more obvious, I think, in the iOS side because, you know, macOS 10 is relatively mature. But Apple seems to keep bolting these things like iCloud on and bolting the concept of sandboxing on and then, and then you know, forcing developers to adopt them if they want to play in certain spaces. You know, if you want to do iCloud syncing, well, you've got to support Apple stuff. And, oh, if you want to do iCloud, you have to be in the Mac App Store. And if you have to be to be in the Mac App Store, you have to support sandboxing. And so that means you can't communicate with any other apps. And And it just feels as though there's not that much attention being put to the basics in terms of file systems and overall reliability and really making a concerted effort to have the Mac be the tool that makes you the most productive you possibly can be. Well, of course, he was specifically referring to certain features and services of the Mac OS that we all know about. And one thing he mentioned, and I have to agree with him about this before we get to anything else, and I've mentioned this, is that iTunes 11 leaves an awful lot to be desired. Not that iTunes was great, but in making it better or promising to make it better, I don't see iTunes 11 being an improvement. What about you? And You know, 
I, I actually find iTunes 11 in ways more attractive, but it's not clear to me that the interface uh, innovations that it brings are a good thing or have even really very been very well thought out. That Apple seems to be trying to throw stuff against the wall with iTunes 11 to see what sticks. And so it's, it's a strange, strange program in a lot of ways. And, you know, the functionality is basically the same as it always was, which has some issues. But it's, yeah, I, I, Apple is not enhancing iTunes in ways that in any way make it more useful to me. That's a problem I think a lot of people have. Does it let you organize your music library better? Is this kitchen sing approach that it takes where it throws everything in one app, is that the right idea? Because what they're doing with the iOS is separating a lot of different things. We have adding some tidbits and take control books. We're discussing Apple's core rot, the article written by Lloyd Chambers, with which Adam appears to agree. More to come on the Tech Night Out Live. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com we all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System today complete with two black Berkey elements for only $231 and the Berkey guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey light, the Berkey guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey guy at 1-877-886-3653. That's 1-877-886-3653. Or order online at GoBerkey.com. That's GoBerkey.com today. Do you owe the IRS money that you can't pay? Are tax liens and levies ruining your life? Are you tired of being afraid just to go to the mailbox? If this describes you, then Dan Pilla can help. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla, and I've been solving tax problems for more than 30 years. In fact, I wrote the book that made it possible to negotiate settlements with the IRS, and I've helped thousands of people do exactly that. Call now at 800-346-6829 to learn how I can help you. 
You know your IRS debt will not go away by itself, but you don't have to live in fear anymore. New changes to IRS policies will help more people than ever before eliminate their debts once and for all. There's no need for you to suffer another day with IRS debt. Call 800-346-6829. I can help you eliminate wage and bank levies, release tax liens, and negotiate a settlement with the IRS that will put your tax nightmare behind you forever. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, TaxHelpOnline.com. That's TaxHelpOnline.com. Many Americans suffer from digestive problems, often totally unaware they're not absorbing essential nutrients from foods and supplements. Dr. Peter Glidden is aware of the importance of healing a damaged digestive system. Now, the product that I'm going to talk about today, Mackey Plus, and it is a combination of a superfruit, the Mackey berry, and aloe vera juice. Now, aloe vera is a very interesting nutritional supplement to talk about because aloe vera, you know, it's the stuff that you put on your skin if you get a burn. And man, it really knocks down the pain, the inflammation of the burn and facilitates healing. Well, guess what? It does the same thing internally that it does externally to burns. To soothe and heal your digestive system, order Mackey Plus today by calling 855-347-3696. That's 855-347-3696 or on the web at fireyourmdnow.com. That's fireyourmdnow.com. know what's going to happen next well here's the tech night owl live with gene steinberg on the tech night owl live we have adding some tidbits and take control books the topic of discussion is an article called apple core rot it's kind of an interesting title apple core rot it's available at MacPerformanceGuide.com. It's a site run by longtime Mac programmer Lloyd Chambers. And remember, Lloyd's been involved in the development game since the 1980s. Longtime Mac developer. He understands the file system especially and the underbelly of the system. And he made some very important comments about iTunes. And I have problems with it. Do you think that Apple would be better off, Adam Ingst, to separate iTunes into more functional apps, or is that better for the mobile platforms? In some respects, I'm not sure I actually care that much because what I don't see from Apple is effort being put into how people want to interact with their media. And it just feels as though iTunes has been kind of all this stuff lumped together, and I don't know that iTunes couldn't be a, sing- a good single source for all of this, but just in general, I don't see that attention being put to thinking about it. Michael Cohen did an article for us recently talking about, for instance, if you, ha- you want to have books in- on your iOS device, well, you have to have them in iTunes to be able to sync them, and iTunes treats books just as though they were music. So, you know, you can't have an, art, an author, for instance. You have to have an artist. You can't have um, a genre. You have to, or you can't have, a, you know, like a, a topic. You have to have a, a genre. You know, it's, it, it doesn't even think of books in that way. You know, not to mention the fact that, of course, it can't open them on its own. And if it's PDF, it can hand off to preview. But then it, if it's an EPUB, it can't do anything at all. You know, it's just, it just seems as though 
there's no real attention being paid to how the world works and making that better. So, you know, something that I don't, maybe I'm strange, but I just don't think so. You know, I want to be able to play my music from any of my Macs and not have it duplicated everywhere because I've got giga, you know, tens and tens of gigabytes of music. Well, and, the other thing, of course, is, and we have to echo what our friend Kirk McElhern says, Apple doesn't seem to be cognizant of how to deal with really large libraries. Like iTunes Match is limited to 25,000, but what about crazy, wacky people like Kirk? And we love Kirk, but he's got, what, a million songs or something? Well, yeah, and and you know, and again, it's there used to be a sense that Apple provided the interface that was good for whoever you were, but if you had more significant needs, you weren't limited. That they 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 that you didn't this sort of this concept that. Oh, you know, you have too many songs. You're not our target audience. Take, you know, take a hike. That that feels somewhat new to me. And and it, and it maybe not even in partly just Apple. That maybe Apple didn't always provide that. But it didn't used to be a situation where you know iTunes was so dominant that there could be no other music management software. So I mean. You know, back in the day, you'd pick from five or ten apps that did things differently. But who's going to compete with iTunes? You know, it's 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 universal. And so, you know, there actually are one or two other apps that sort of do this, but they're frankly pretty weak. Um, they don't they don't even have the same level of features that iTunes does. And there's just there's no market there. And so, I think that this is you know kind of the the problem that you get into when one company is so powerful and you know they've scared everyone else off and think the fact here that apple is forcing you into a singular ecosystem so for example if you decide you don't want to have an iphone but you really like itunes and the way it organizes things you have to go through hoops to sync it say with an android phone You'd have to actually deal with it on the file level, like you use a program like SyncMate, where you can sync all your stuff from your Mac to an Android or a Windows phone, but then you're dealing with the music files, not the organizational things or aspects. Yes, you know, it's very much a all-or-nothing kind of deal, and, and again, it didn't used to be. You know, that, that Apple didn't used to be so dominant that... that they were trying to ensure that you were always within the Apple ecosystem, that they were willing to acknowledge that other people might have something to offer. And, you know, one size doesn't fit all. And yet that seems to be what we're, what we're being pushed to more and more. All I can say is that's just one example. Yeah. Just one example, iTunes. The other example he mentions is iCloud which Lloyd says is an organization-destroying, bug-written, unreliable disaster. And, of course, Lloyd is just really holding back there, isn't he? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm not sure I'd quite describe it like that, but uh, I'm not a big fan. Um, you know, that, that my bugaboo with iCloud is that Apple has, after years of not doing a very good job of making it possible for people to collaborate with one another, decided to solve that problem not by getting better, but by eliminating it entirely. 
so that iCloud really is only for sharing information between your apps on your devices. And if you want to share it with someone else, tough nuggies. So, you know, that's my big, my big beef. And, you know, so being able to, to share a document between pages on my iPad and pages on my Mac is, frankly, utterly uninteresting to me, just completely. And, you know, I think that Apple is going to end up ceding this entire space to Dropbox, frankly. Dropbox is becoming the centralized file system for iOS because Apple won't let iCloud do it. Well, the thing is, of course, is that it's not just Apple. So, for example, if you want to, say, sync your stuff from Microsoft Office, you got to use Microsoft's SkyDrive. Yeah. So it's not that. And that's kind of unfair because the point of the Mac is to be able to run whatever apps you want. And yeah. the point of iCloud is to be able to sync only with your Apple products. And people run other apps, they should have the right to sync those too. And also the amount of space they give you, 5 gigabytes, is paltry. It's cheap. They should be giving you a lot more than Google or Microsoft. It's hard, it's hard to quibble about that, given that I don't want to use it at all. You know, you know who cares? But the, the, you know, the fact of the matter is that it really comes down to, again, sort of Apple, it's this, it's, it's this almost this big brothery approach of Apple knows better. You know, you will do things Apple's way because that's the way they want you to do them, and they're not even going to let other people do them other ways. Um, and 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 play in the game. You know, I said you want to you want to support iCloud, fine. You've got to be in the Mac App Store. You cannot sell third-party software that supports iCloud without selling it through the Mac App Store only. I think that's a huge problem, personally. You know, strikes me as, you know, just troubling. And the thing to consider also here is that a lot of people have apps that can't be bought through the Mac App Store. Why would they even disallow that? This offer an SDK so everybody can put their apps up there as long as they meet certain guidelines. That's the other problem I have, too, the Mac App Store. This is the road to eliminating a lot of the possibilities for third-party developers to add all their special features that can't be accepted because of sandboxing. Right now, of course, a developer can get this certificate. That's almost like a security certificate, so that makes you kosher. And that allows your apps to be accepted by a gatekeeper without adjustments, even though it doesn't go in the Mac App Store. But how long will it be before everybody would just look at the Mac App Store for software and never think of other possibilities? I mean, especially people who are coming to the platform from the iPad or, for example, from the iPhone. They think the App Store is where you go. And we know on the Mac it's not, but newcomers won't think that way. I think that's absolutely true. And and the fact that Apple is, is starting to, to build these features that require you to sell on the Mac App Store if you want to support them means that it's going to be harder and harder for companies to justify selling outside the Mac App Store. So, And the more stuff that is available only in the Mac App Store and the less that's available outside, the less people will think to shop outside and the less we'll see that kind of interesting stuff. I mean, the simple fact of the matter is that I find one of the things that makes me productive is being able to combine apps, combine the capabilities of apps, whether it's via something as simple as Keyboard Maestro. Keyboard Maestro is a macro utility. And we'll get into explaining more about Keyboard Maestro and what it can do. 
I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner, and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, then carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Is 2013 your year to achieve more, more vitality, more health, more well-being? Hi, this is Pastor Jenny. For 25 years, I spent my life's work teaching others how to achieve more. But in 2010, I got a lesson of my own about RNA drops. I learned that there are millions of gene switches latent in every single cell of my body that are waiting for an activator. I learned by taking RNA drops, I could begin to activate that power in my cells and achieve the more that I desire. I'd like to share what I discovered with you and send you a free 30-day supply of RNA drops valued at $50 for just the cost of shipping and handling. Go to rnafreesample.com. That's rnafreesample.com. Or call me toll free at 888-577-3703. That's 888-577-3703. rnafreesample.com. Discover the more that's waiting for you. Welcome back to the Tech Night Out Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Okay, Keyboard Maestro is a macro utility, says Adam Inks, reminding us this is used to store keystrokes or functions so you can access them with a simple command. And this is one of the early power features of the Mac goes back to the days of quick keys. Is quick keys still being done on the Mac? I think it is, but I don't know the details, to be honest. <laughs> but what's, what's interesting about things like Keyboard Maestro and quick keys is not just that they, you know, let you press a keyboard shortcut and have some action happen in a program that didn't have a shortcut for that. What's interesting is when you can say, okay, when I push this keyboard shortcut, I want you to copy the selected text, switch to this other app, hit tab three times, and paste it. That you're bringing together two apps that know nothing about each other. And that's kind of a big deal, that there's a whole lot of stuff that that becomes easier once you can do that kind of thing. The Mac App Store and its sandboxing just eliminates that possibility because I mean, it doesn't eliminate it when you have things like Cover Maestro, but but applications used to build in Apple Script and Apple Event support such that they could talk to other applications. That's all going by the wayside. 
And this is maybe something that Apple could do. We understand why you sandbox. It's for malware protection. It's for stability. You keep apps separate from each other so they can't get in each other's way. But you also have something in sandboxing which they call entitlements, which is not what the government does and what they're debating about now. It means that you have different services that an app can access to talk to another app or the operating system. Maybe what Apple needs to do here is to look the other way and say, look at the features we're losing because of sandboxing. What could we do to let them work? they got smart people at Apple. They can figure it out. You'd think, you know, but that's been the big bugaboo ever since the whole sandboxing push started, which is if you want an entitlement to do something that doesn't exist, you know, you can ask all you want, but Apple doesn't have to give it to you. And what I hear, the sounds of it is most of the time they don't. You're just hosed at. And what you do, of course, is you make the software less usable. And that's got to hurt the platform. It hurts the platform because people look, well, Windows doesn't have that problem. So I might as well use Windows. And the same thing goes, for example, with the iOS and the iPhone. And yes, there are, what, 800,000 iPhone apps, but there are certain types of apps that Apple will not accept. Whereas if you go to Android, of course, it's like the wild, wild west. It's a free-for-all there. And with an Android phone, one checkbox in settings, and you can go outside the Google Play Store. Go elsewhere if you want to get apps that are not available. So Apple has to consider that too, especially now because the competition is so fierce and Apple's advantages are not as big as they used to be. I think the other thing is, though, that what's interesting about the change from the Mac to iOS is that on the Mac, we had relatively general purpose programs. You know, you had the Microsoft Words and the Adobe InDesigns, and we didn't really ask what it was that people wanted to do with them. If you want to make a spreadsheet in Excel or Numbers, great, you can make a spreadsheet. And we don't really care what it is you could, you're doing in that spreadsheet. With iOS, however, that's all changed. And with iOS, every app with relatively few exceptions, is highly specific. It's about one specific little task. And that's partly why they end up costing 99 cents, because they don't really do very much. And that's a great if you need that exact single little task. But the problem is that what the general purpose apps and a general purpose computer allowed was the ability for each person to make those general purpose apps do exactly what they wanted, even though no one else in the entire world ever wanted to do that and certainly wasn't about to create an iOS app to do that one specific thing. It almost takes you back to OpenDoc. Yeah. Remember OpenDoc? Explain to our listeners this concept. It goes back to the 1990s. It's one of the many technologies that Apple tried and failed to make a compelling case for. What was OpenDoc? Well, with OpenDoc, the idea was that you would have all of these components, which were kind of like features. For instance, you would have a very, very simple word processor, and then you would get components that would add features to it. So, for instance, you could get a, a find and replace component that would sort of plug in to your word processor. You could either have a very simple one, or maybe you could have a really fancy one like BBEdit's grep-based um, find and replace. You could then use these building blocks to create apps that did exactly the kinds of things you wanted. Apple never really made a compelling case. Apple 
kind of dropped OpenDoc before it had a chance. OpenDoc was not a success, but I'm not sure it was not a success on its own right or on its own merits or if because it, it lost support from Apple before it really had a chance to get going. I think it was kind of in the middle there. It never really developed into what it could be. Yeah. And I think part of it is that it was a difficult sell. There's a hard sell for a program like that because it is little tiny apps that have limited purposes. And if each one really isn't better than separate versions of utilities that provide the same functions, there's no case for it. It's difficult to explain. Now you're used to it on the iOS because you have limited function apps. You have a, one app, all it does is read the contents of the Washington Post. You have other apps that also perform very limited functions, and that works best in that. It's a very modular setup. But the other problem, of course, with the iOS is that the apps can't talk to each other, and you can't even set a default app for a specific function. So, for example, if you download a different email program and you click the Mail to link in a website, it's still going to open Apple's email app. Yep, and as I said, it's, it just seems to be one of those situations where Apple has taken a legitimate desire for more security and managed to use it not just for security, but also for platform lock-in. That, oh, yeah, so sorry, you can't actually do any of that stuff. It's for security reasons, but in, you'll have to use our, our mail app anytime you want to mail something out. For security reasons. But, okay, all of a sudden, how do you compete with Apple's Mail app when you cannot, you can't delete it? You can't even circumvent it. I mean, you can, you know, start, you can read and write all your mail in something else until you try to use that sort of system-wide mail share thing, and then you're back in Apple's Mail app. Now, this is an area where, for example, Android's Wild West policy works better because with Android, you can set a default app for a specific function, like you do with GetInfo on your Mac desktop, you can also have all your apps displayed in alphabetical order. Why can't Apple do that? You've got 100 different apps, and you have to page through them and organize them. Why can't you just tap sort alphabetically? So I know that if I want to get to the application that begins with the letter C, it's fairly easy to find. Yeah, the whole scaling to multiple, you know, lots of apps as in on the on the homepage of the iOS devices is just unconscionable. I mean, I, I don't I actually don't use hardly any of my home screens anymore at all, apart from the first one, maybe the second one, because I can't find anything. That- <laughs> Let's go back to the Mac OS here, because I wanted to cover more of the issues that Lloyd raises. Okay, obviously he complains about the Finder. He says, damages the system. Does it, Adam? Can't copy files reliably. Can't do useful things it ought to do at all. Hides key files rife with bugs. What do you think about the Finder? This is the centerpiece of the Mac user experience. I will admit that some of the things that he's complaining about I have not seen. So I don't know if there is a specific circumstance in which he can demonstrate this that's reproducible or if there may be something which just he is experiencing and other people are not, maybe not lots of other people. That's a little hard to tell. I personally haven't run into issues with the finder losing data particularly. As far as hiding files, you know, certainly the whole hiding the library I find annoying, but, you know, luckily that's one of those things, at least when Apple hides the user library, it's easy to get it back, either temporarily with holding on the option key in the Go menu or by just running a simple little terminal command to reveal it for all. Yeah, but the thing here, of course, is I understand maybe Apple wants to hide things so people can't screw with them. 
but you have another library folder on the top level of your hard drive. That's not hidden. Shouldn't that be hidden, too, if we're going to hide things? I thought the whole thing was kind of pointless because, as you say, there's lots of other stuff if you're going to cause problems that you should be hiding. And certainly in iOS, you can't see any of that. My feeling is, again, that it is totally legitimate to say to normal users, hey, don't mess with this. We're not even going to show it to you. But at least be consistent about it. We have Adam Inks, always consistent. Or most of the time, I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Classic science fiction at its best. Available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Originally, we the people have entrusted government to be the guardians of currency to ensure purity, content, weights and measures of gold and silver coins citizens would use for commerce. This reinstalled confidence after the demise of the fiat continental system. Wisdom being lost with time, the government we once entrusted to protect from counterfeit has colluded with private business, creating the largest fiat counterfeiting scheme our country ever experienced. This is not only a transfer of power to an institution that is not accountable to our elected government, but has also caused the dollar to lose more than 90 cents of its original value. Now foreign governments are trying to divest themselves from this once world reserve currency. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. I'm offering a book that explains how the system works. Call me today at 800-686-2237. I will give you a silver dollar free just for purchasing the book. Call today at 800-686-2237. Again, that's 800-686-2237. Fall in love with food storage savings this February at BePrepared.com. Going on now, BePrepared.com saves you over $300 with a premium 1600 one-year supply, including 126 cans of freeze-dried and dehydrated food. Or get the new gourmet 14-day food supply with a full 2,000 calories per day with pre-planned menu. Stroganoff and noodles are 20% off with purchase of six or more. Mountain House pork chops are back in stock at 34% off. Pack your own low-moisture foods with our new do-it-yourself super pale combo on sale at 22% off. Add to your preparedness with minor surgery kits at 15% off. And wool blended blankets are only $11.89. The February Fall in Love with Savings Sale ends February 28th at BePrepared.com. For contents and details, visit BePrepared.com or call 800-999-1863. The choice is clear. Be unprepared or BePrepared.com. 
To have a fighting chance against cold and flu bugs, get the world's best garlic extract, Allison Plus C. Fight viruses, bacteria, and fungi with Allison Plus C. Scientifically proven in double-blind studies using low doses to greatly reduce the number, severity, and duration of common colds. Allison Plus C contains 300 milligrams of stabilized Allison, the active ingredient in crushed garlic. Studies show Allison Plus C is effective against MRSA, bacterial, fungal, and viral infections. One tablet of Allison Plus C has the equivalent of 40 cloves of garlic. Allison Plus C supports your body's resistance to all types of conditions and can help lower high blood pressure and high cholesterol. So boost your body's resistance to infection with nature's best garlic extract. Allison Plus C. To order, call 855-ALLISON. That's 855-255-4246. Or go to allisonplus.com. Spelled A-L-L-I-C-I-N plus.com. Get Allison Plus C from Affinity Health Products. We'd like to hear from you. If you have any thoughts or comments about the Tech Night Owl Live, please get in touch at news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. Looking for past episodes? We've got hundreds at technightowl.com slash radio. That's technightowl.com slash radio. Or subscribe on iTunes. We have Adam Inc. some tidbits and take control books. We've been talking a lot about whether there'll be an iWatch in our future and about Apple building gear in the USA, probably a Mac Pro, but, you know, Apple could fool us. We never know. And the article from Lloyd Chambers, Apple Core Rot. A lot of subjects to go through. It's a long article. And so it's really, really hard to get a lot of it done. We only covered the surface when we talked to Lloyd. I want to talk about the file system. And this is really geeky. And I don't know how far you want to go into this, Adam, because we only have like eight minutes left here. And that is, we have something called HFS+. But there is a system out there called ZFS+. Why do we want to change the file system on the Mac? We've had basically the same file system since the 1980s with shaves and haircuts. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it hasn't changed at all since HFS+. Plus, so nothing, nothing much new there. I think the reasons why you change to modern file systems is that you can potentially do more interesting things in terms of performance, in terms of data reliability, in terms of backup, in terms of um, files that do not have it's not a, necessarily the kind of thing where you have to have a simple file system in the modern world because we have a lot of computing power to th- throw at the problem. So, okay, so why do we want a different file system? What does it do for us that makes it worthwhile? What can well, we do that we can't do now? A really big one is, is data integrity where you're not going to have nearly as much data corruption with something like ZFS because it's working hard behind the scenes at all times to detect problems. It's basically verifying everything you do. Yes. But the current operating system doesn't really verify everything. It's one of those situations where you know when an important file gets data corruption because, you know, something big stops working. But you don't know when some little support file somewhere hidden in the depths of the operating system gets corrupted and then all of a sudden something that doesn't work properly, you know, months later. 
there's a lot of places where, you know, we kind of feel like our computers get slow and a little funky over time. Well, some of that's probably related to data corruption down at, you know, in the bowels of the, of the operating system. Oh, boy, we're getting raunchy here. By the way, what I do, just to kind of relate this, is every year or so, I wipe out my drive, I erase it, I restore from my backup and start again. The other thing that you can run into is when apps crash, they may leave data in untenable states. So probably the most common thing I do in Time Machine to restore corrupted data is after some kind of a crash, Google Chrome or Safari or whatever it is will lose track of the open tabs that I have open. And I want them open, which is why I have them open. And so, you know, I don't remember what they what they were. That's why they were open. And there's a way of restoring that. That's, you know, those are stored in state files. And I have to go back into Time Machine and, and bring those back. This happens, you know, not that often, maybe, you know, once every month or three weeks or something like that. But it's annoying enough that it's one of those things where it's like, well, why is it that this is being allowed to happen? Why is it this data is being allowed to be written in a corrupted state because the app was crashing? Maybe that's the kind of thing that, that you can get into. Another thing you can run into with file traditional file systems is that you're really limited in a lot of ways of how you look at them. A disk is one terabyte. Okay, you've got one terabyte of disk space. What happens when it fills up? Well, you can't write any more data. Well, what if you have other disks that are available that could be used to create sort of this larger pool of data. So you don't have to think about how much data you're using. You don't have to worry about filling up a disk, that it just is used as necessary from wherever it becomes available. And you can even see a little bit of this happening the way Apple does the Fusion drives now, where a Fusion drive is an SSD for speed and a big hard disk for capacity. So a lot of these kinds of things are, are, the, are what become possible when you, again, go beyond file systems from the 1980s. So why isn't Apple doing it? <laughs> Got me. I mean, all I can think is is that basically Apple feels like all their energies need to be put into iOS and the iOS ecosystem because that's where they're making the money. And I guess in some ways it's hard to argue with that. The main argument that I would have is that Apple has so much money and is doing so much that it would seem that they could also be doing truly interesting, innovative stuff on the Mac side as well. Well, I guess the key here, if Apple isn't making a lot of money from the Mac, maybe you think they're not going to pay it serious attention. But now let's look at the solutions to the problem. And we don't have much time. We're going to focus on solutions, two minutes of solutions. The fact that they've got Jonathan Ive handling the interface element, is that going to do anything with getting the core of the OS more reliable? No, I wouldn't think so. And it simply doesn't sound like it's his, his purview. That the goal I see in having him taking over that is interface consistency and hopefully some more thought put into some of the interfaces. I mean, as at iTunes 11 feels scattershot. And hopefully they can put some thought into both making things even more attractive and, frankly, faster and easier to use. Stuff like Launchpad not faster and easier to use, solving a problem that's been solved in multiple other ways over time. That's just pretending to that you something you came up with on one platform applies to another. But, of course, would Tim Cook 
be more interested because he's a down and dirty kind of guy when it comes to the nuts and bolts of doing things, making sure his executive team that's responsible for OS 10 does things to clean things up from the ground up. I thought that's what Snow Leopard was for, by the way. Snow Leopard was supposed to be the cleanup version of the OS, get all the stuff cleaned out, take out the elements we no longer need, make it run faster, and build a platform upon that. doesn't seem to have worked that way. Well, and there's a lot of people who think Snow Leopard was actually the high watermark for reliability. It went downhill from there. And, you know, I, I never even upgraded to Lion on my main machine. I did, just didn't think it was worthwhile. I did upgrade to Mountain Lion partly because I couldn't stay, you know, that far behind for that long. But the simple fact of the matter is that none of these operating systems feel as though they have made me more productive. And I'm not seeing anything from Apple that's doing that. Now, what I think might cause Cook to pay more attention is if he's going to say, we're not going to ship any lousy products, and we're all going, hey, look, you're shipping some lousy software, maybe that will give more resources to testing, more resources to testing, and more priority to getting it right before you ship rather than more than shipping on a specific date. Adam Inks, where do we find more of your stuff? You can go to www.takecontrolbooks.com and, uh, and then tidbits.com for both books and news about all that's going on. By the way, Take Control Books, always fascinating titles on, of course, your iPhone, your iPad, and, of course, OS X, Mountain Lion, all sorts of great stuff. And it gets live updates. Really cool that, you know, when you buy a book and they come up with some new information or Apple releases a little maintenance update and sneak something in there, they can fix it. Adam Inks, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Thanks for having me. And coming up next, we'll have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and Apple Insider on the Tech Night Out Live. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are... The GCN Radio Network. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light Systems 
system today, complete with two black Berkey elements for only $231, and the Berkey Guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey Light, the Berkey Guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey Guy at 1-877-886-3653. That's 1-877-886-3653. Or order online at GoBerkey.com. That's GoBerkey.com today. What's better than Mountain House freeze-dried food? Buckets of Mountain House freeze-dried food. Now the freeze-dry guy introduces convenient, easy-to-store Mountain House survival buckets filled with our top-selling items. Each item is sealed in a Mylar-type pouch, and each pouch is neatly packed in clear buckets so you can easily see the contents inside. These Mountain House survival buckets come with well over a 25-year shelf life and are perfect for emergency preparedness, camping, backpacking, or at-home use. Go to freezedryguy.com, click on freeze-dried foods, and choose our 12-month, 6-month, 3-month, 1-month, or or seven-day Mountain House Survival Bucket with 32 generous servings starting at just $69.95. And all orders to the lower 48 ship free. Call 866-404-3663 or go to freezedryguy.com. That's 866-404-3663 or go to freezedryguy.com. 100% veteran-owned. The Freeze Dry Guy. Injuries, slow healing, aches and pains, constipation, weakness, fatigue are all common the older one gets. The progressive deterioration of the body that occurs almost universally the older one gets can partly to significantly be prevented with conscientious attention to nutrition. If the Hansel men can play rugby in their 90s, then it is possible for everyone in North America to experience a more youthful life as well. One key ingredient to warding off aging and reversing some of it is the type and quality of protein consumed. All protein foods or supplements you currently consume are heat damaged, destroying 50 to 75% of your ability to utilize the bodybuilding amino acids. One World Way is not heat damaged and allows your body to utilize 100% of the amino acids. This feat no one else has achieved. The results to your health can be amazing. Call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. Or visit OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorldWhey.com. What's going to happen next? You never know when you're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine, AppleInsider.com. A little bit later, we'll discuss with him Tim Cook's presentation before Goldman Sachs. Any new tidbits or just more of the same, very carefully rehearsed? Now, with Adam Inks, just before Daniel came on, we were talking briefly about Lloyd Chambers' article about Apple Core Rot. And as you listeners know, Lloyd was on our show last week. So in looking over something like that, Daniel, you remarked to me before we got started, you thought some things were over the top in the way he wrote it or in terms of the content? Well, a lot of the the comments that he makes, there's a bit of snarkiness involved, and it kind of distracts from his message, I think. But overall, it's very clear. I mean, whenever you talk to people who are from a pro background, and he's a pro photographer, is that right? Um, He's a pro photographer, and back in the 1990s, he was a very well-known Mac developer. He was one of the people behind Auto Doubler and Disk Doubler. Okay, so... So He had salient software, and he worked also for fifth-generation systems. So people who come from that background or the, like, pro video... Remember when when Apple came out with Final Cut Pro? 
or Final Cut Pro X or 10. It was a big change and it was, it was a, a shift and it left a lot of people stranded because, you know, the world was changing out from under them. And if you look at even, I mean, he's making some very salient points about the Mac Pro having been sitting there for years, not really improving. And this, this year, Apple's supposed to be coming out. I mean, they, Tim Cook announced that he was going to redo the Mac Pro and kind of realign it with It'd be interesting to see where Apple's actually taking it because there's been this kind of mystery and they haven't really been good at communicating what they're doing to pro users or for pro users. And if you look at Apple's business and where it's been, just as far as, you know, 2005 to 2006, I I was just writing an article about how big iTunes has become. The revenue from iTunes is almost as big as like $18 It's almost as big as Apple's entire business when the iPod was at the top of its arc and, you know, the Macs were growing in 2006 was like something like 19 billion in revenue. So just iTunes, which is media content and apps and iBook store, I mean, that kind of thing is bigger than Apple was just a few years ago. And if you look at what's driving that, it's phenomenally the iPhone and iPads are now bigger than the Mac business as well. And so Apple has this huge amount of its revenues coming from mobile devices. Now, the Mac is still very important. And in fact, you know, iOS and OS X are basically the same thing. iOS is a scaled-down version of OS X, basically. It uses the same software. The work that Apple puts into it largely applies. A lot of this stuff is shared back and forth. Um, but the, Apple's focus has clearly gone towards mobile devices. And if you look at Apple's own apps, even their consumer apps like iWork and iLife apps, there's been huge progress on in delivering mobile versions of those apps, and not so much. I mean, we're still on, I think it's iWork is on version 9. I think it was the 09 version. So, I mean, there's a lot of years between 09 and 2013. Right, well, I, we still don't have a new version of iWork. It's been I mean, receiving minor feature changes, but that's it. Yeah, so if you look at the feature changes that have happened, there are things like iCloud and integrating with mobile devices. And so that's where a lot of Apple's focus is. And you say, well, why aren't they also doing the Mac stuff? Well, it's like, well, if 1% of your income, or you know, it's probably closer to a tenth of Apple's income coming from its previous sort of businesses, it's not hard to understand why Apple's focusing on the new stuff. But Apple's also quite constrained. Even though they have a huge amount of money, it's hard to hire enough people. And when you put focus on something, you're taking away focus necessarily from something else. So for Apple to really focus on pro pro users, it would have to scale back what it's doing, where the growth actually is, which is mobile devices and other countries. And so there's a lot of tension that's just going to happen there. You You know, one thing, though, Daniel, Apple's big enough to do both, right? Well, you'd think so. And you think what any company, you know, Apple has more money than Microsoft and anybody else in the tech industry. And several countries. But having money doesn't necessarily mean you can just snap your fingers and make things happen. Look at Google and Microsoft have always had a lot of money in the last decade. They've been buying, they've been making billion-dollar acquisitions. Apple has made very few major acquisitions, and those are generally in the you know several hundred million is the biggest acquisitions Apple has been making. Microsoft and Google have both bought multi-billion-dollar companies, like huge companies. Google bought Motorola. And Microsoft bought Skype and, you know, a, a series of other huge companies and then just wrote them off, basically. Well, in terms of Skype with Microsoft, 
The one thing I have noticed, number one, is there's relative now feature parity between the Mac and Windows version as of this week. They both have a version 6.2. But the reliability of Skype, the reliability of Skype appears to have gone out the window. It wasn't so reliable in the first place. Now it's less reliable. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a, a side note. But what it really goes to underscore, remember in, in 2007, Steve Jobs was at a... I think it was a shareholder meeting, and somebody asked him, it was like, you know, they had a lot of money back then even, and they said, why aren't you spending it on research and development? All these companies are ahead of Apple and R&D, and if we have the money, we should be spending it. And Steve Jobs said, just because you have money, I mean, you can't necessarily buy innovation with a check. If you could do that, then Microsoft would be putting out good products, (laughs) because Microsoft has had the money. They can always throw money around. And if you look at the biggest, one of the biggest products of the last decade, and when I say last decade, I mean... (laughs) the decade before the last, the 2000s, was the Xbox. So Microsoft made it a priority to keep its lock on gamings with Windows, basically. That's what the role that Xbox played. So it was a strategy that made sense, but they spent billions of dollars building this business. And after investing, something like more than $8 billion of their profits were being siphoned into the Xbox. It's now to the point where it's just starting to to get where it's sort of breaking even, I mean, like making small profits, and it's obsolete. It needs to be replaced. And how do you overcome that investment? You're not paying it back. I mean, if you suddenly make, you know, a very small profit or even a few hundred million dollars in profit and you spend billions of dollars you've squandered, at what point does that pay off? It's kind of like with Amazon. You know, Amazon stock goes up. Everyone says, look how great Amazon did. And they showed a profit of, what, one-twentieth what Apple can earn, if that? Yeah, they're not making any profits the last year. But, you know, if you look at the Xbox, it's hard to argue that Microsoft maybe shouldn't have done it. Because what else were they doing? I mean, it's not like they had other things that were going on. It's not like they had some Windows mobile business that was taking the world by storm like the iPhone did. They could have invested more in. That was a, It was a perpetual joke. They didn't turn it around until Windows Phone 7 came out um, two years ago. So it was fairly recently. There was this whole period of time where Microsoft didn't have anything going on. So they might as well have been blowing their money on Xbox because at least they prevented Sony from taking over the PC gaming industry. But that was a pretty, you know, kind of a pirate victory, spending a huge bunch, you know, billions of dollars to just keep from being eroded underneath. And at the same time, you know, Microsoft's bigger businesses of Windows and Office have been just, the sand has been washed under, from underneath them. And they missed the mobile curve. So, you know, Microsoft's facing a lot of problems. But the point I'm making is just because you can dump huge amounts of money into something and even be, like, moderately successful, like maybe it's not a total waste. Like, the Xbox was not a waste. You know, of all the things Microsoft could be doing, it's like, well, that's within their sort of competency area. And they've retained this market. But if you compare it to Apple... Everything Apple has done has been blockbuster. And even like the least successful thing that Apple's done, I mean, you you might say Apple TV, which hasn't been making billions and billions of dollars every quarter, but it's sort of the sort of moderate success that Apple didn't really spend that much money on. It wasn't some huge, you know, mega acquisition. It wasn't, you know, the focus of Apple's development. It was just kind of the side product that referred to as a hobby. You know, we should also kind of summarize this because there's so much ground we have to cover. And that is with Apple, it's not just what you spend for research and development, but what gain you get out of it. 
you don't just throw money at a problem. You throw money efficiently at a problem. Because one thing Tim Cook said at the presentation at Goldman Sachs this week is Apple is conservative about money. So they'll invest when they have to invest, but they'll invest what needs to be invested, not figuring that if you pour money into something, you'll have a solution. That doesn't necessarily pay off, as Microsoft knows. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger joining Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. (coughs) Are you still a traditional smoker? Now experience a new lifestyle and try vaping with e-cigarettes by LeSig. Imagine no ashes, stains, nasty smell, or coughing and hacking. With LeSig e-cigarettes revolutionary microelectronic technology, rechargeable battery, and unique replaceable cartridge, you'll get all the benefits and satisfaction of smoking without the hazards. Choose your taste from a wide variety of our new American-made vaporeate e-liquids at LeSig.com. And LeSig smokes the competition by serving thousands of worldwide customers with real people customer service fast free same day shipping and a 30 day warranty and satisfaction guarantee so are you ready for a new vaping lifestyle then call 870-518-4307 that's 870-518-4307 or visit lesig.com spelled l-e-c-i-g.com lesig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker Lunch is ready! And it's an MRE smorgasbord at longlifefood.com. In 1983, Long Life Food Depot was one of the first to sell MRE pouches to the public, and we're still selling them almost 30 years later. Today, Long Life Food Depot has the world's most complete MRE online buffet, because MREs are all we do. Tasty varieties of chicken, beef, salmon, and pasta entrees, plus sandwiches and our easy-to-use pouches. Full moisture, long shelf life, and ready-to-eat hot or cold. We sell by the pouch or case so the choices are endless and so are the graduated quantity discounts. The more you buy, the more you save. Call 800-601-2833 or go to longlifefood.com to join our email list for upcoming announcements like the Rollaway Food Pod. Plus, enjoy fast and free shipping. Just call 800-601-2833 or visit longlifefood.com. Emergency preparedness, emergency relief. Longlifefood.com since 1983. Sending real food to your real future. Alex Jones here with a message that could revolutionize health in this country. Going back about a year and a half ago, I began to learn about the incredible health effects of Longevity products. Aaron Dykes lost 90 
two pounds. We're going to show you some before and afters. Aaron, break down what happened, your story. I've worked really hard with diet and exercise to try to lose weight, but I just didn't get the results. It just didn't happen. Then I saw what you were doing with InfoWarsTeam.com. I wasn't even trying to lose weight, but I got it because I wanted to feel better energy. I wanted that nutrition. Didn't even understand how that could kickstart my own weight loss goals. But the products did that for me. I found myself suddenly losing weight, more energetic, wanting to exercise, wanting to eat the right foods. And they don't even advertise it as weight loss. I want to challenge our radio listeners to go to InfoWarsTeam.com. Sign up as a distributor and get wholesale pricing discounts at InfoWarsTeam.com. You never know what's going to happen next while listening to the Tech Night Isle live with Gene Steinberg. On the Tech Night Owl Live, we have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com. And I want to just go back to Lloyd Chambers because he went far afield. The Apple Core article, I think his concerns are about the core of OS X. We understand Apple is not spending as much on a Mac as they do on the iOS, and we understand the volumes and the products and the significance. But a lot of the things they could do with improving the core of OS X could go into iOS because it's based on the same OS. So the key here is, aren't there things Apple could and should be doing, such as having a file system that goes back to the 1980s, except for the HFS Plus revision in, what, the 1990s? Should Apple be considering a better, more robust file system, especially as hard drives become larger and as more options are being sought? So, for example, we have Fusion Drive today, more solid-state drives, multi-terabytes, and all this other stuff. Well, so the answer is yes, of course. I mean, Apple can certainly do more. Specifically, if you look at the file system issue, Apple isn't unaware that there's progress that can make in file systems. But if you look at the cost-benefit ratio and you look at external factors. Apple was working on ZFS. That's why we know about it in the Mac communities, because Apple had it. They were, they were pushing it out in, in beta. The problem was right as they were bringing it to market as a server, you know, on the server side, because it wasn't really ready for consumers yet. But as they were bringing it to market, all of a sudden there was this legal issue between Sun, which had kind of brought it to market, and the company that said Sun basically took their technology. So it was like this huge kind of Oracle, Google kind of type fight over a technology that Apple was going to offer a Mac version of, and it it just became a legal quandary sort of problem that resulted in Apple dropping it. Because what was the value? It was a value to a small group of Apple's customers, and it wasn't finished yet. And it could be that by the time they brought it to market and finished it and did all this work on it, that they would be dragged into the lawsuit as well. Or they'd have to change it and base it on some other operating system technology, like Oracle's better, faster, or there's a variety of other options Apple could have gone with. And, you know, that's one issue, is that Apple can't just do everything they want to do because sometimes they get sued. Okay, but let's forget about that. If Apple doesn't see being ZFS as a viable alternative, and one of the things we're mentioning here is, you know, unlimited storage capacities, the ability to, for example, verify files as they're written to prevent possible directory damage and stuff like that. The key here is, though, that what about Apple rolling their own, making improvements or building 
a new file system that would take advantage of technologies of the 21st century. Well, if you look at that, that's that's what the company is doing. I mean, you mentioned things like Fusion Drive and incorporating technologies. Apple looks at the market and sees what needs to get done and starts building incrementally towards that. It, it's a very it's more evident when you look backward. If you look at a series of macOS and iOS releases, you see technologies that they're sort of introduced and people don't know why they're introduced. And then in the next version, it's like, oh, that's why they put it in there, because they're building this on top of it. And with in the latest OS X, there was like this huge effort to build a lot of groundworking technologies and change how people work with documents, for example, to enable, among other things, iCloud. And at the same time, not just cloud storage of your documents, but also integrating with how Time Machine works and being able to incrementally back things up and not have you know, huge backups that are difficult to manage that people can actually just automatically do. People can buy an appliance and it just works. And so there's a lot of underground things that Apple is working on that aren't quite obvious, so they bring it to market. And we don't know, of course, what Apple's doing behind the scenes. They may have all sorts of interesting technologies, but we can only get a glimmer of it right now because we don't have access to the information, as I said, it's in Apple's test labs. Now, other than that, do you think that the arrival of Jonathan Ive as the software interface guy, is that going to provide more consistency, maybe less of the excesses of OS X? Well, people talk about the excesses of OS X. You know, they're talking about the leather stitching and stuff like that, which, I, I mean, the progress on, for example, OS X calendar wasn't held up because they put a, you know, this like leather stitching look on it. They can basically case, change that in an hour. Yeah, I mean, the, the a lot of the look and feel stuff, um, some people, you know, it consumes a lot of their time and what they think about. To me, it's, I don't really care what calendar looks like. I would be fine with it being simpler. I, I think it's okay to have it look, you know, a sort of restrained sort of fancy. The thing I have a problem with is just weird apps like Contacts on the Mac. It's just such a weird app. And it's not, it's not better because it's weird. It doesn't look nice. It doesn't, it doesn't work well. If you're looking for a contact, it doesn't give you, like, sophisticated searching. So the things like that really need to get addressed. There's a lot of apps in OS X that are just sort of unfinished. They've never been finished. Like the the whole printer scanner software, the image capture, it's just sort of this sort of, um, it's sort of like iPhoto if you don't have iPhoto. You plug in a phone or you know something with pictures on it, it will launch a sort of half-finished app. And you can also use it with your scanner. It'll sort of work. It's, it's just really unfinished. I understand and, what you're talking about here because I have... For example, this HP multifunction printer. And HP software is also unfinished, which we expect. But yes. image capture, I can't see that thing has changed in five or six years, if that. Well, it's changed, but it's not finished. It just feels like it's in early beta. And it, it, it has this glimmer of it's almost this amazing product. And there's so many <laughs> Almost this amazing. I like yeah. that. And it, it's kind of like mail. I mean, Apple... If you look at Apple's strategy for mail, I think it was Tiger that came out with, they thought it was going to be a great idea to have RSS feeds and all this other stuff built into the mail client. And then that changed, and it kind of went back to being simpler, and they took it out. And there's a whole bunch of things that they've gone back and forth. And I think, I think the strategy is getting more realistic. So instead of just loading in a bunch of features, this kind of, you know, historically, remember how Office and 
Windows kind of where they just Microsoft would attack new features on this old dinosaur every year. And it was kind of like, do people really need this? And it's like, well, they have to have the product. So they're buying it with all this other junk on top. And it just gets to the point where it's so top heavy, it just kind of collapses. So Apple can't do that kind of thing where they just tack something on top every year. Or they're going to have the same kind of top heavy nightmare. And if you look at what they're doing with apps like, like Mail, the last version of it stripped out a lot of this junk that they've been tacking on and has spun off apps into more logical buckets like cal- calendar and contacts and um, notes and things like that. So instead of having this kind of huge monolithic Outlook type app, they have all these sort of streamlined things that work pretty well. There's not a lot of people that are desperately trying to replace all their apps. There's some people that like a, a custom thing, and that's it's a good strategy to be able to say, I have a you know some very specific need for CRM-type contacts. I'm going to replace Apple's contact app with something else, and it's just going to plug into the operating system, and it can work with iCloud and the you know back-end syncing of things, and it will just work. And so that's a, a good overall design. But I think Apple needs to put a lot more work into their core apps in Mac OS X. And there also needs to be clarity of what's going on with the pro apps. I mean, people who work with Final Cut need to know, is this going to just be a sort of high-end, moderate, prosumer type app? Or is Apple really concerned about, you know, the high-end? Do they want to be that? Do they want to be the avid type role that they sort of became and then sort of ditched immediately because it wasn't, you know, they're making more money from iPhones than, than Macs anymore? So I think there needs to be more clarity, and I think there definitely has to be more attention paid to OS 10, but you know, it's a lot easier to look at something and complain about it than it is. I really wish he would have been more specific in what exactly is wrong because he makes a lot of blanket statements about how, you know, he talks about iTunes as being this horrible kitchen sink of disaster and terrible, but that's never useful to say. If there's specific things that are wrong with iTunes, it'd be good to, to point them out until they get fixed. Remember, we used to do that with the Finder and say, you know, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. There's still a lot of things that are wrong with the Finder. But Apple has fixed a lot of the things that were wrong. And they just need to keep doing that. And and what you're talking about, Ivy coming in and changing, looking at things kind of from a holistic design, that's what's been happening with with iOS. And that's why people don't complain as much about iOS. There's less to complain about. There are a few things that I could complain about. And these are things, for example that I saw on the Android platform. The Android platform is kind of like Windows, and this is one thing I don't think people realize, and they don't say. When you compare iOS or iOS with Android, it's like Mac versus Windows. It's like taking something simple and elegant and then producing something that's workable but very complicated with very granular adjustments, and you could see where... It's easy to get used to the iOS, but with Android, you can adjust it to a fairly well. But there are some good features. And I'll mention that in our next segment as we talk with Daniel Aaron Dilger on the Tech Night Out Live. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. 
Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner, and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Is 2013 your year to achieve more, more vitality, more health, more well-being? Hi, this is Pastor Jenny. For 25 years, I spent my life's work teaching others how to achieve more. But in 2010, I got a lesson of my own about RNA drops. I learned that there are millions of gene switches latent in every single cell of my body that are waiting for an activator. I learned by taking RNA drops, I could begin to activate that power in my cells and achieve the more that I desire. I'd like to share what I discovered with you and send you a free 30-day supply of RNA drops valued at $50 for just the cost of shipping and handling. Go to rnafreesample.com. That's rnafreesample.com. Or call me toll free at 888-577-3703. That's 888-577-3703. rnafreesample.com. Discover the more that's waiting for you. Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. With Daniel Aaron Dilger, I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live, discussing platforms as always, and the rot, if there is any, in OS X and what Apple needs to do to fix it. But, for example, let's just take a look at Android. Android, for example, has a way to attach a default app that's other than the system app. So if you want to use a third-party email app or browser, etc., you can make that the default app. You can do it on the Mac with GetInfo, but you can't do it on iOS. Another feature, which is kind of a basic organizational feature, is their apps view. You could basically have it viewed in alphabetical order. But Apple doesn't provide that. So these are little things that maybe Apple could learn from the other systems and the other ways of doing things. Well, when you're talking about overall features of iOS, yeah, there's a lot of things. I, I think in addition to that, remember when the iPhone came out, all the apps that were on it, like the, you know, especially the little things like the Maps app and Stocks and everything, were, were, kind of, were all new. And it was kind of cool to have on a phone. Five years later, they're not new. And they've grown kind of old. And so, you know, Apple totally went, redid a lot of the features of, and expanded a lot of features of, for example, uh, maps. But other apps haven't changed at all. And if you look at weather, there's a lot more sophistication in weather than, that you can have than simply just putting in a zip code and having like a, a little widget type weather thing. And so there's this balance of how much does Apple want to focus on building its own first party apps, especially first party apps that don't have any real revenue potential. 
Because if people want a fancy weather app, they can now find it from a number of developers. So Apple's now balancing its its efforts to say, do we just take over and, and grab the best app out there and make it the, the iOS app? Or do we just ship the operating system like the Mac OS has increasingly been with a bunch of stuff that's like, okay, and people can pick out something better if they want it. So part of that is is a question of, and there's pros on both sides. It, it's ideal if Apple has stuff that's so good that it draws people to the platform. And at the same time, if Apple just keeps making the best everything, then there's less opportunity for third-party developers. So that's always been an issue, too. It's like, so it's kind of struggling back and forth of how much does Apple leave the platform open for developers to have opportunities to solve problems that people will pay for? And how much does it work on being all things to everybody? And it's hard to please everybody. Well, that's so, why, for example, having a feature where you can apply a specific app to be default makes sense. Because that way, if there's a mail to link in the browser and you tap it, you don't want to open mail. You want to open this other thing that you're using. Yeah, definitely. That's a that's a, a feature that's useful for third-party developers. And it's also something that user, a lot of users want. It's not necessarily in the interest of Apple, however, to seed important tasks to other players. So, for example, if you look at things that don't have a default setting, things like maps and things like the browser and things like mail, Apple doesn't want a third-party company to be, to have like that sort of control. The reason they made up their own maps is they realized that if Google's making all the maps, Google's going to take the best maps for Android and leave iOS strangled. That's an interesting point. I read a review just very recently of Google Maps for iOS versus Google Maps for Android. And yes, a lot of things are very similar, but it's kind of like Microsoft building for the Mac OS and then building for Windows. You see a few features there were not brought along. Yeah, anytime, anytime as a platform developer, if you allow somebody else to make the value of your platform, whether it's Office apps or whether it's you know things like the browser or the Maps browser, for example, if you give that to somebody else, they can take that away and put it on somebody else's platform. And if it's a company like Google or Microsoft, of course they're going to prefer their own platform. And if it's a company like you know it's like Adobe, they're going to have various reasons to take their software and, and make it better on another platform first. I mean, you know, like Microsoft helped Adobe leave the Mac. And a lot of that was because, you know, the, even though the, half their profits were coming from the Mac, they saw Windows as being pro- probably more viable going forward. The well, Mac's at least if split. it's only half the profits from the Mac, it means you have 50% more profits and sales to deal with. So that's always a plus. You'd think that Adobe would have kept parity on both, but Adobe, you know, historically saw Windows as being more viable. And so Apple lost. That was like one of its core, you know, one of the core things of the Mac platform was in publishing and print, you know, the the Adobe type apps. And as soon as Windows was good enough, Adobe was happy moving their apps to Windows. So if you you see that software away... It's the same thing with games. If, for example, with Apple with iOS, if if they allow third-party companies to make all the games, if there's no benefit for those developers to be exclusive to iOS or even to have feature parity with iOS, why wouldn't they go to some other platform? The only thing that's holding those developers to iOS right now is that there aren't any viable platforms out there. Nobody buys apps on Android. Windows Mobile and, and BlackBerry are too small. But if it got to the point where... 
there were several platforms on kind of an equal level, these big companies like EA and whatever would take their games and put them on all of them. Well, the thing you have to realize is there is some situation where you do have apps available on both Android and iOS because they're big platforms, but the Android version is often less usable. And an example being like WordPress. You have WordPress blogging system, and they have an app for Android and the iOS. And just simple things like moving from a screen where you view your message or post to edit it, you suddenly have another screen stuck somewhere and accessed from one of the other buttons on your smartphone, and things get to be confusing. And features that are very obvious on iOS are not so obvious on Android. And part of the problem is developers are catering to the lowest common denominator. They want to get volume. This is a free app, of course. But in general, a developer wants volume. They want to sell product. And so they will develop for the largest number of people. And if the largest number of people are using a very old version of for example, Android, what are they going to do? They're going to develop something that is feature-limited. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons why Android software is just, it just hasn't taken off. And that's why Android is very weak showing in the enterprise. And so all these contribute to Apple's strength in iOS apps. Apple has incredible strength in iOS apps. And when you talk to people and they're like, oh, Android's winning because they're selling more stuff and they're like shipping all these phones to India and whatever. Well, you know, fine, you're selling a lot of devices, but you're not selling a lot of usability and you're not really expanding a platform. Because as you say, you know, some of the phones they're selling are Jelly Bean and some of them, you know, the majority of phones with Android on them, the vast majority are running version 2.0 from a couple years ago. And you can't make apps that span that very well. I'll give you an example here, Daniel. The largest selling Android smartphone is the Samsung Galaxy S3. And Samsung sent me one, so I can evaluate iOS versus Android. The latest version that AT&T gives you is with Android 4.1.1. Does that make any difference? Yeah, because the current version of Android is 4.2.2, which just shipped. So why can't people with the largest, most popular Android smartphone, why can't they get that latest OS? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of problems with the Android platform, and that's, that's good for Apple. But as parity, as if, you know, assuming that Google makes progress, which they will, I mean, eventually they'll, they'll you know, there'll always be this sort of series of problems. But as Android gets better and, and has a... Um, if it gets to the point where developers are picking between two platforms and not Android is very big, and there's some apps that are going to Android because there's so many customers out there, even though it's a different model. You know, Angry Birds announced a, an Android version, but it was different. It's based on ads because there's not that pay-per-app sort of mentality on Android. So you do have a situation where developers are going to be porting their apps to Android. So the question is, how much control does Apple have over that? And how many of the important apps will Apple have any say over? So if you look at the things that Apple has done for their platform, they've taken all their iLife apps and iWork apps and made it a priority to get them on iOS. Those apps are never going to get ported to Android, obviously. And we'll get into more of this in a moment. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger joining me. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live.
Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs. Convert from so many formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. Gold isn't for you? Ted Anderson, president of Midas Resources, one of the world's premier gold and precious metal investing firms. I get it. You wouldn't buy gold if you believed that the government is doing a great job, that the Fed will stop handing out trillions of dollars like bailout candy, that Social Security would be there for you. That's not what's happening. You might even pass on gold if the stimulus package wouldn't fuel inflation, or that the dollar wouldn't lose value, or that your retirement would be secure. If all looks rosy to you, then now is not the time to buy gold. For the realists, there have never been more sobering reasons to diversify with gold. Since 2001, the U.S. dollar index has tanked 30%, while gold has risen 300%. Right now, savvy investors are adding gold to their portfolios. You should, too. Find out what they know. Call us, and I'll send you 10 reasons why gold will do very well, free. 800-686-2237. 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Is there a less expensive way to detoxify your body? Yes, microplant powder from HempUSA.org frees your body of toxins from vaccinations, pharmaceutical residues, heavy metals, parasites, and toxic chemicals in your food and water for around $10 a month. Microplant powder removes virus, fungus, and bacteria while cleaning and purifying the blood, lungs, stomach, and colon. It unclogs arteries and softens heart valves. Plus, microplant powder can be taken with any liquid, any pharmaceutical, at any time. It's truly the easiest and most cost-effective way to clean and detoxify your body for around $10 a month. Microplant powder from HempUSA.org. It really works. And for persistent health issues, try our Matrix Bio Powder together with microplant powder for a deeper cellular cleaning. Call 888-910-4367. That's 888-910-4367. And see what our powder, seeds, and oil can do for you at HempUSA.org. Who wants to be disease-free, full of energy, and vibrant health? Two reasons you may feel constantly tired and run down could be that your body's acid level is high and your pH level is low. How does acid enter your body? A cup of coffee, a sandwich, tap water, stress, and cell phones. Plus, your own body produces acid on a regular basis. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops alkalize the water you drink and raise your pH level. They promote more oxygen in your system, higher energy potential, and many other documented health benefits. And studies show viruses, bacteria, and toxins cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops is the least expensive and the best pH level product you can buy. Order AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops for just $29.95 at AlkaVision.com, spelled A-L-K-A Vision.com, or call 800-518-7615. That's 800-518-7615. Alkalize your body, supercharge your health with pH Drops from AlkaVision.com. 
We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, please send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. If you'd like to discuss today's show with fellow Night Owls, visit our community forums at forum.technightowl.com. That's forum.technightowl.com. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and Apple Insider. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're on the Tech Night Owl Live discussing the platform wars. And as we see, the apps are better on iOS. I could testify to that. I mean, I've been playing with lots of email apps on the Android device, the Samsung Galaxy S3, because a standard email app is ah, doesn't look that great, has some bugs and feature limitations. And I've tried a bunch, and some are... This is the way they normally are available. A free version, feature limited, or with ads, or a retail version. And sometimes the retail version is really not that much better, except it doesn't have the ads. And a lot of these are buggy and flaky, as if there's no control over how things are going. Let's go back to what Tim Cook said, looking at his statements before Goldman Sachs. Did he just basically deliver the Apple mantra? Anything that could be divine from that that's any different or significant? Well, I think his task was to answer some criticisms. I, you know, anybody who thought out that Tim Cook was going to outline Apple's future for this year or the next five, or you know, some, that's kind of ridiculous. Of course, they're not going to talk about unannounced products. They never do. Um, but he gives some color in how Apple thinks. And what the media wants Apple to do is always really simple and short-sighted. And if you think about it, Apple has a lot more data on what's they, they know a lot more about demand than anybody else in the market. So we can look at things and say, you know, prior to the iPad, we can talk about netbooks and we can say, you know, have an opinion on them and whatever. But Apple knows a lot more about what people are trending towards and what people want. They have cameras in their stores looking at what people look at, what people are drawn to. They have tremendous data from all different kinds of sources. They know what people are buying and they know what sells. They know exactly how much memory they can put in an iPad to make it sell more or less. It's interesting you raise that because there's a perception here that Apple doesn't care about customer feedback. And maybe that's true when they develop a product for the first time. You know, they come up with something that they think is going to be great and use their own instincts. But once the product is out and people are using it, then they pay more attention to the user base to see what they look at, what they buy, as you say, what features they prefer. If Apple did what people said they wanted, they would still be producing products that had replaceable batteries. Like I think I've told you before, every every power book and notebook that I bought over the last 15 years, I thought it was really critically important to have a separate battery in case you know I get on an airplane. And I also thought it was terribly important to have a DVD burner. I don't know why, but those those were like paramount things. Every time I bought one, I was like, okay, I want the best optical drive I can get just in case I need to burn something. And I also need to have this ability to carry around batteries and, you know, buy $100 batteries, $150 batteries, how much they were, carry around with me. I have never used a separate battery outside of maybe a handful of times that I was on an airplane or something. I just didn't. It was just like this hassle of carrying them around and swapping them, and it was just it's complication. And same thing with optical drives. The number of DVDs that I burned on a notebook would, you know, not cover a table if, I, if they were laid out. I've maybe burned a half dozen DVDs in my life on a notebook computer. 
But in my mind, I thought those were really important features. And then, you know, Apple's now to the point where they don't even sell DVDs on their, you know, their primary computers now. And the the idea of a, a battery that you pop off and put in a new one is just gone. And what they've delivered in place is better battery technology, that they can pack more battery into your MacBook Air than ever before because they can make it a different shape and they can make it optimized so that the thing is really small, but it has the most battery you could possibly put in that size. And if you need to burn a disk, well, you can do it from a desktop computer, but there's probably a lot of other alternatives. You can now, you know, boot over the internet and install OS 10 without even needing an optical drive. You can do it over the network. I mean, there's all these options that Apple created to solve problems, to give people a product that didn't have boondoggle junk on the side of it that people desperately thought they needed. I like that boondoggle junk. And so Apple has this insight into what is important and what, you know, where things should go that is very different from the status quo of people. And, you know, I'm, I'm fairly technically savvy. And there's a lot of people that are, you know, a generation behind me in, in terms of, like, understanding technology and wanting things to be a certain way in their mind. But it's even more irrational than me. <laughs> you know, if you look at my parents, they have this set idea of what they think things should be. But if you show them something that's much better, and that's very much what the iPad was. A lot of people thought, what I need is a PC that's small enough to carry around. It's like, no, you need a device that does all the things you need to do and maybe doesn't do some of the things you think you need to do, but certainly doesn't do all this stupid junk that you have to do to use a PC. You don't have to do all this configuration and all this dealing with you know, file system details that nobody really needs to do to be able to check mail or work with lots of photos or you know, work with all kinds of media, even creating documents. You don't have to have this sort of complicated level of file system stuff that confuses a lot of people. And so when they brought it to the market, there was like a little bit of confusion and people liked aspects of it. And they start using it and they're like, wow, I can, you know, use this idly on the side. It's like a natural device. It's not like this, you know, confusing computer situation that's turned people off from computing for the last 15 years. And so that's what Apple does when they look at a market. They say, what's the necessary bits? Where's the value? And how can we deliver that without all this complication and unnecessary junk? And, you know, you're talking about Android being sort of like Windows. Android is really like Linux. I mean, it is Linux, but it's, it's much more like Linux on the PC. Well, the reason have- I say Windows is because it's got complicated adjustments and setups, and you always have these various tap and hold functions. You tap and hold something, you get... Yeah. Basically a slide-out menu, like a context menu. So to me, it struck me as being Windows because a lot of those Linux graphical user interfaces are just basically borrowed from Windows. Exactly. But I think our idea of Windows is sort of more techy. That more recently, I mean, if you look at everything since Vista and you know Windows 7 and 8, Microsoft has been trying to layer over kind of a layer of dumb on top. To so make rather it than make simple. it easy from the ground up and elegant... They put the dumb layer on top to hide well, it. They're trying, yeah, they're trying to make it more like more like the Mac, which they've been doing for the last twenty years. You know, that's what Windows was was a layer of dumb on top of DOS. But um, if you look at what Android is, it's trying to be this kind of erector set that you can do anything with, and that appeals to this very small sort of vocal group of people. But it doesn't appeal to most people. Most people, if they want to buy a vehicle or something, they want it to just work. And they want it to be sort of simple to drive and straightforward, and they just want it to, to work like a car. Where, you know, there's some people that have some specialized need for, a, you know, a front-end loader or a backhoe or something 
that you skid steer or whatever, that's too complicated for most people. They don't want that. And I think Android has really shown that if you dumb Android down enough, you can make a feature phone that people will buy for cheap, but there's not that sophisticated type iOS product that you can do with Android because there's so much complexity underneath. You have to manage your apps yourself. You have to deal with the file system. You have to deal with all these you know, PC contrivances, and the interface is derived from this sort of tech-heavy sort of you know, gadgety interface that's confusing. Before we get too confused, there are a lot of people out there who are trying to save you from being confused. I'm going to hear from them right now. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com slash radio, DreamHost.com slash radio. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. Your freedoms are on the line. The Second Amendment is in danger. How soon before your freedoms are taken away? What can you not live without? What is your greatest dependency? Is it your guns? Is it your home? No, it's food. It all boils down to the food supply. Tyrannical governments control people by controlling their food supply. Don't be dependent. Be self-sufficient. Don't wait for the government to feed you. Feed yourself. I can warn you, but I can't feed you. Do like Alex has done and get a supply of food from eFoods Direct. It's the best long-term storable food on the planet. Get the popular Mega Patriot Pack free. A 24-day supply of food plus stove, cook pot, and fuel. Call 800-250-1857 or go to eFoodsDirect.com slash Alex and get up to 20 Mega Patriot Packs free with purchase. Build your food supply, be in control, be self-sufficient, and be a patriot. Call 800-250-1857 or eFoodsDirect.com slash Alex and get your free Patriot Pack today. Stop the pain from broken, chipped, and damaged nails and eliminate toenail fungus with a revolutionary new nail hardener, Nails of Steel. Just apply one drop of Nails of Steel over natural or polished nails and go. With Nails of Steel, there's virtually no drying time and it's guaranteed. Try this all-natural, antifungal, and herbal formula for women and men. Call 816-896-8307 or get free shipping at NailsofSteel.com. NailsofSteel.com. It's like a salon in a bottle. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit and carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Hi, Ted Anderson. I'm placing a silver dollar in a book explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. 
Hello? Congratulations. For what? For losing all that weight. How'd you do it so fast? ASAP. ASAP what? What's that mean? Are you ready to get as skinny as possible, as soon as possible, as simple as possible, and as sexy as possible? I'm listening. Then get with the ASAP program. It's real and it works. No smooth talk, no slick advertising, and no exaggerated claims of success. I've got to know more. Welcome to ASAP, as slim as possible. Whether you have 10, 20, or 50 pounds to lose, ASAP is your weight loss answer. ASAP targets the abnormal fat reserves and makes them available to be burned as fuel and contains no caffeine or hormones. Order ASAP at wholesale prices or join the team to share the business with others. Visit GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Lose weight and look great with ASAP as slim as possible. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. On the Tech Night Owl live, we have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine, AppleInsider.com. And we're focusing again on the simple versus elegant. Elegant and simple, of course, being the iOS and workable, if we call that. Workable but can be complex, which is Android. And this is every function. I mean, I can't say it's a bad device. Once everything is set up, it works okay, just like a Windows PC. You set up everything on the Windows PC to your liking. You go through all that junk. You get it working. It does do the job, you have to admit it. But let's look at some other things that Tim Cook said in relation to what's happened this week. And, of course, he was making the point again about low-cost products. And he mentions, for example, that the iPhone 4, which is a product that first came out, what, in 2010? And it is free with a two-year contract. If you buy it, it's over $400. And, of course, the argument being then, what about a cheap or a cheaper iPhone? And, of course, he makes the comment, well, of course, Apple doesn't make cheap gear. So, for example, though, Google has an unlocked Nexus 4 smartphone for 299 Does Apple find a way to build an iPhone that can be bought unlocked for an affordable price? I don't regard $400 as affordable. Well, yeah, Apple's not competing in the super low end. That's so, not super low end. Even a $300 phone is not super low end. No, I'm talking about in this $100, $200 phone category. Apple's not competing there. The same way they're not competing with, you know, two or three hundred dollar PCs that are out there. So there's there's certain segments of the market that Apple's just not competing in. Like you say, this the cheapest phone they have is four hundred and fifty dollars. And you know it appears to be zero. So in in some markets, in like subsidized markets, Apple appears to have price parity because outside of prepaid phones, there's no obvious difference between a two hundred dollar phone that you get for zero dollars with contract and a four hundred fifty dollar iphone 4 that you get for zero dollars with contract so apple's been sort of protected from this price erosion for a while but it's getting to the point where you know there's a lot of there's a lot of phones like the the low-hanging fruit at this point is getting to be cheaper so apple needs to work at making a cheaper iphone 4 basically whether or not apple's going to really focus on that and make it the center of its attention has to do with a number of factors. First of all, where are they selling these? Are you talking about phones for the developing world? If so, then there's a pretty substantial need for a cheap phone for markets like China and India. Because if Apple doesn't do that, they're going to be just overwhelmed. 
if Apple introduces a really cheap phone in America, then they start eating away at profits of their higher-end phones. Yeah, but let's talk about not a much cheaper phone, but somewhat cheaper, like maybe $100 less, find a way to take advantage of yeah, the materials to make it somewhat cheaper, but still it's a very well-built product, like a $49 iPod Shuffle. Yeah, so if you look at the history of the iPhone, for the last three years, the iPhone is, keeps getting $100 cheaper. It went from being, you know, $199 was the cheapest you could get to being, you know, you could get last year's model for 99 And then it became this, oh, you can get two years' models to go for $0, which is the last two years. So that's already happening. Components keep getting cheaper, and, you know, the two-year-old phone keeps getting $100 cheaper every year. On top of that, you have, you have to see, is there a market for a cheaper phone? Because if Apple just comes out with a cheaper phone, and they just sell the same number of phones, but a bigger percentage of them is cheaper, then that's not really anyone's benefit, because they're not expanding the market share. And of the market share that they do have, if they're selling sort of a finite number of phones, if they're just making a number arbitrarily cheaper and less profitable, then they're making less money. They're leaving money on the table. So it has to expand the market in areas where people who now would not have bought an iPhone for whatever reason, they're not able to get a subsidized phone. Maybe their credit isn't very good, but they've got a couple hundred dollars, a couple of three hundred dollars in their pocket. Or they want to go to Straight Talk, one of these prepaid wireless carriers, and they want to have a really good phone. But they're not going to spend $450 on an iPhone, but they sure would buy the cheaper product if it was available because that's a gain for Apple. It's not Apple selling a cheaper phone for someone who would buy the more expensive product or could buy the more expensive product. It is selling the lower-cost product to someone who would otherwise be locked out of the market. But there's other ways to do that, too, and Apple's already looking into that. So in addition to just making a cheaper phone, which cheaper is better in some cases, but in, you know, if they just make it cheaper, just putting more plastic and it just becomes a cheaper thing with less memory and whatever, um, even the iPhone 4 has, it delivers a, a pretty significantly less nice experience than, than the, the latest phone. The camera isn't as nice. The maps are much worse. If you have a new phone, maps is pretty cool. If you have an old phone, maps, you know, Apple's new maps, is very limited because you don't have 3D and you don't have the flyover and you don't have a lot of the features that make it maps cool. So if they, if they push more of their customers to, to a cheaper phone, it's not just cheaper. It's also a lower quality, less differentiated experience, which is important. So that's, that's one factor. Another factor is you're talking about expanding the market among like developing markets and market, prepaid markets and people who don't have the money to, to throw out for a, a expensive phone like that on a prepaid. One of the alternatives is the Japanese model, where instead of getting a big fat subsidy at the beginning of every contract, like you do in the U.S., you pay over time. So you buy a new phone, but you're paying in installments. T-Mobile yeah, so is going to do that. Doing that. Walmart yeah. starts selling the iPhone 5 like that. So Basically, the way this works is you buy the phone, but you're paying on time, but you still have to have decent credit, don't you? It's basically getting a loan. Yeah, but for a lot of people, I mean, that's, that's where the middle of the market is. So, you know, we can talk conceptually about what Apple can do, but you really have to look at the, features, the, the, the facts behind it and say how much of their market is actually here and how valuable is that market. And is it better to focus on that than to focus on more high-end things, for example? So there's a lot of directions Apple can take. You know, people were all talking about how the iPad could get cheaper. And then Apple comes out and releases the 128-gigabyte iPad for almost $1,000. And people are like, oh, why would anybody offer that? Well, they're going to sell it. They're going to sell it because they have unique markets. They have enterprise customers and people who need a lot of storage on an iPad. They're going to pay more for it. 
Now, at the same time, Apple does need to make cheaper iPads, and they're consistently making cheaper iPads, and they have the iPad Mini now. It's smaller. It's you know significantly cheaper. But to say that Apple also needs to make a $200 7-inch notebook that's exactly the same as the stuff that Android or that Google and Amazon are delivering, I don't agree with that. I don't think that's a market Apple should do because, first of all, there's no real demand for those, even though there's a lot of people making them. There's clearly not demand for it because they're not selling a lot of them. Daniel, very interesting statement Tim Cook mentioned about sales. He said Apple is the only one that's reporting actual unit sales. You see, these other companies pretty much all report the number of units shipped, not the number they actually sold. So this is why, for example, he disregards this claim now that the iPad's market share is below 50%. The answer is, how do you know? Because you don't know how many units the other companies are producing. Some won't even tell you. How many copies of the Kindle tablets have been sold by Amazon? I want to answer. Even, you can't get it. Matter of, it's not even a matter of sales versus shipped. Is they don't say how many they've shipped. That's you right. Know, Amazon, That's, Amazon like, tells oh, you nothing. We have the most popular, you know, thing in the Amazon store. Well, what does that say? You know, Microsoft says, "Oh, we're sold out." What does that mean? How many did you have? I mean, they're just giving metrics that are worthless. And you know, you have companies like IDC that are saying, "Oh, Apple's share of the market is going down." What what is share? If people are just dumping stuff on the market and they're not selling it, which we know Samsung has been doing since 2010, because we have factual proof of it, it came out in the Microsoft in the in the trial with Apple. You know, they weren't selling these numbers; they were just shipping them. And so, even if we do have some idea of how many are being shipped, it doesn't say how many are being used. And that's what that's what Tim Cook focused on is usage statistics. So, if you look at web stats and if you look at how many apps are being sold and what the market for apps is and, and the the driving market that these shipments are supposed to be creating, iPad has vast majority market share in the 80-90% range. And so it doesn't matter how many people come out and say, oh yeah, there's so many products that are shipping into the channel that Apple now has 50% market share. That's not the market share Apple's after. They're not after like impressing, you know, IDC statistics. They're after selling the most things and having the most valuable platform and dumping a bunch of super cheap, like amazingly, how can you make this so cheap Asus branded um, Nexus 7 tablets, those don't even matter on the market. Because You know what? I like the way he said that. I like the way he just put those words together. we got to put this together. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and Apple Insider. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night How Live. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill a minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Classic science fiction at its best. Available now. 
For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. We travel so much, and having a fake TV, well, it gives added peace of mind. Burglars look for houses that appear to be easy targets. But fake TV can fool even professional burglars into thinking someone is home watching television. As a recent widow living alone, it gives me great peace of mind to set my fake TV near a window and know that passing motorists and pedestrians will think someone is home watching TV when I'm actually away from home. Fake TV easily plugs into any outlet, just like a light on a timer. And they're so easy to use. You just plug them in and they're ready to go. Plus, they're so affordable that we have one upstairs and downstairs. Fake TV is only $34.95. Order your fake TV by calling 877-5-FAKE-TV or go to faketv.com. That's 877-532-5388 or faketv.com. Fake TV. The Burglar Deterrent. You land in Buenos Aires, then are shuttled to Santa Rosa, where a nicely furnished cabin with all amenities, Wi-Fi, executive food and wine, and laundry service awaits. After a good night's sleep, your adventure begins. You're on a golden stag safari for big game. But it's not Africa, it's Argentina. One-on-one guided hunts for water buffalo, cougar, bighorn rams, wild boar, and the biggest stag deer in South America. All gold medal quality. All the action you can handle. Land Rovers, top rental guns with scopes, all food, beverages, hunting guides, ground transportation included, and more. All more affordable than you can imagine. The adventure of a lifetime starts at goldenstagsafaris.com. The big game hunting ranch, goldenstagsafaris.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Joel Wallach, the Dead Doctors Don't Lie guy. There's no reason why you shouldn't live to be at least 100 and have a great time getting there. And I'm going to give you a free copy of my lecture that tells you exactly how to do it. In fact, after you've lived a long and healthy life, there should be only two documents in your medical chart, a birth certificate and a death certificate. I'm Dr. Wallach with a warning. If you have a four-inch medical chart, if you take prescription drugs for high cholesterol, high blood pressure, arthritis, joint pains, and other health issues, the medical profession is failing you. They're using you for an ATM machine. My free lecture is going to reveal what pharmaceutical companies don't want you to know. There's been groundbreaking research and discoveries on how to effectively treat or eliminate over 900 different diseases naturally. And it's all in my free lecture called Deadly Recipe. So call toll-free 1-855-79-YOUNG. Again, that's toll-free 1-855-79-YOUNG. 1-855-79-YOUNG. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com. I want to cover one more topic before we let him go. And that is, I was looking on the Internet. There's a product called um, watch, which is called the smartwatch, but really it's just a peripheral for a smartphone. It links to the smartphone, which therefore gets the calls, and it, I guess, has Bluetooth connection or something like that. So now there's talk of an iWatch 
in, of course, the mainstream media again. Then there's also talk that Apple has 100 engineers working on this iWatch. And then, of course, Gorilla Glass. That's from Corning. They use Gorilla Glass on a lot of the top smartphones, such as the iPhone. Gorilla Glass now can be flexible. So you can make it into a flexible watch, an iWatch. Are we going to see an iWatch, Daniel? Apple's clearly working on wearable technology stuff. They're patenting stuff. They're doing research in that area. They've actually made products that have not shipped. They have stuff like the Feel Band, the, the Nike sells. I think instead of just making a watch, they're going to come out. People are talking about this iWatch in the very same kind of language they use to talk about netbooks. Remember, Apple was supposed to make a netbook, but what they really came out with was the iPad, which is sort of a netbook, but it's a totally different thing. And I don't see that people are really desperately wanting watches. And if Apple really was, hap- you know, if Apple was really tapping in on some demand for watches, why did they shift the iPod Nano from being a watch into being sort of a something, you know, back to being a stick? Because they had a watch, they were making watch faces for it, and you know, trying to sell watch faces, and that wasn't really hitting a sweet spot, clearly, or they would have kept on doing it. I think there's potential in having sort of a a separate device category but apple has to be very careful because if they if they release this iWatch and it doesn't sell in the millions it's going to be this you know failure that everyone's going to talk about how terrible apple did with iWatch let me ask you a question though this is obviously the big question here existing watches have been kind of like measurement devices that maybe also display the time like a chronograph measures things and displays the time but what about an iWatch that is the cheap iPhone, in a sense of you offer basic phone functionality, basic iPod functionality, and then maybe it can link by Bluetooth with a full-size iPad or iPhone for all the rest of the capabilities. But when you're traveling and you have a watch, you can check the time, you can make a phone call, you can play some music, keeping it limited so everything can be put into a small space, but offering very good performance at say one ninety nine per unit, wouldn't that be something interesting? Well, it would be a way for Apple to convert its six hundred dollar iPhone sales into hundred dollar phone watch sales. I think that's a, would be disastrous for Apple. I do think that they're going to have some sort of peripheral devices that you can, you know, if they. I think they should make an interactor kit and have third party ideas injected into this, and have APIs that allow you to build. Devices. I mean, they've already sort of started in this category with, you know, they were showing off diabetic uh, things that check your blood pressure, your blood um, sugar level, things like that, that report to iOS, that connect either wirelessly with Bluetooth or via the dock connector, things like that. There's a small number of peripherals already, scales and, you know, heartbeat monitors and like the Nike Plus thing or the Nike um, Field Band. I think Apple could get into that market more and generate licensing revenue, and perhaps even create something like a watch that shows you, you know, you know, notifications that are coming, and perhaps make it Bluetooth and possibly Wi-Fi. I think turning it into a phone would be dangerous because that would make it too expensive, and would be difficult to sell phone service across a lot of devices like that. Maybe that's more of a long-term thing. But I think having sort of a peripheral, kind of resurrecting the iPod, because the iPods have been dying because everyone uses their phone for an iPod now. So, I still don't see why you can't add a phone to it, because Apple's also looking at technology in terms money. of antenna, in terms of these reduced-size antennas for mobile systems. They got a patent for one just recently. Yeah, but if you look at what Apple's going to do, 
Apple is rarely the first person to ever use the technology in a tremendous, huge way. I mean, when Apple came out with the phone, they introduced some things that were new. It was basically a PC that had phone functions. It was a Mac that had phone, you know, a small Mac. Um, but if you look at a lot of things Apple doing, it's like the technology is already out there. Apple didn't invent Wi-Fi. It's just nobody didn't knew much about it when Apple brought it out. Same thing with Bluetooth and a lot of these other enabling technologies. They're, they're already sort of in use, and Apple just like polished it and made it work really well. And now you have things like AirPlay that are an application on top of Wi-Fi and you know a lot of these technologies that is differentiated and allows you to do things that are new and cool. But with having like a, a peripheral device on your arm, Apple already has the technology in place to make, and then they could make like an iPhone type nano, but get rid of the phone stuff and make it interact with your phone. So that way you buy a phone, you buy an iPhone, and you can connect it to a sensor on your wrist that tells you when you have a new message or, you know, allows you to interact with other people or, you know, and, and perhaps even send messages from your wrist that are get to your phone with Bluetooth and are sent out or whatever, make Siri questions. You know, there's all kinds of technology that Apple could do. There's all kinds of opportunities Apple could do in the, the wearable computing sort of market. Um, I don't think they're going to make a conventional watch because I don't see a lot of people wearing conventional watches and really there being this huge demand for a sort of expensive watch. But there's a lot of Apple could pack a lot of technology into a watch that we've never had before. You could add like the biometric stuff where you're measuring your body and at the same time have a lot of other sort of messaging technologies and a lot of things people haven't thought about before. And you'd make it solar powered. (laughs) But you're saying here what you're speculating about is an iWatch as a wearable device that served as a peripheral for something else such as the iPhone or the iPad or something like a Mac. Yeah, I mean, Apple's business is to sell people new stuff, not to take what they're selling and make it cheaper. So when, you know, when they came out with the iPhone, it wasn't buy this instead of a Mac. It was buy this with your Mac, you know, especially the iPod. With the iPad, it is people buying that instead of a Mac. Well, with the iPad, it still kind of necessitates a desktop computer because there's a lot of things you can't do on an iPad. That's for now. Yeah, I mean, Apple's talking about, yeah, we don't mind a little bit of cannibalization of our Mac line if you're still buying iPads. But the point is, they still have a Mac business. Their Mac business hasn't dried up, dried up and blown away. When they came out with new products, it didn't necessarily destroy an existing product. The most obvious example, apart from that, is the iPod. Or the iPhone and the iPad are basically a, a device with an iPod built into it. And people have, so people have less reason to have a standalone iPod. There used to be the, the big draw of having an iPod was that you had a lot of, of music storage. And then it became video storage. And then, you know, you have an iPhone, you have all that already. You already have storage. You probably you know, have almost as much storage as people had on their biggest iPods just a few years ago. So I think what Apple needs to do is reinvent what the iPod is and make a pod that does something else that's useful. And the most useful thing would be to communicate with your phone, have messages available, have messaging technology, but not making it expensive, not making it a replacement for a phone, certainly not right away. Maybe someday we'll have, you know, iPhones on a watch. There's a lot of technology and a lot of, applications that you could have if you had something that was monitoring where you were and like what your temperature or heartbeat was being able to track your kids there's a lot of applications for having wearable computing but apple has to really look at delivering something that's cost effective that people can afford and at the same time that delivers enough value to where it isn't just you know sort of a doodly thing that people are going to buy once and then put in their shelf 
uh, the doodly thing that people put on the shelf kind of reminds me of the fact that I was using portable music players for many years, but only briefly each time. So I had an original Sony Walkman. Use it for a while, and I got sick and tired of listening to music with earphones. I'd rather listen to music with loudspeakers. I even tried several editions of the iPod, and the same problem. I don't like doing it with earphones. I prefer listening from a loudspeaker. Hey, Daniel Aaron Delger, tell our listeners where they can find more of the stuff you do. I write for AppleInsider.com, and I have my own blog at RefleyDrafted.com. Check us out on Twitter. We're known as Tech Night Owl. We are known as Tech Night Owl on Twitter. Check us out there. Follow us. Maybe we'll follow you. We also have another radio show, by the way, called The Paracast at Paracast.com. Once again, that is Paracast.com. And we're going to explore waves of UFO and strange creature cases in Pennsylvania on this weekend's episode. We've had an exciting time this week with Daniel Aaron Dilger and Adam Inkst on this week's show. So, Daniel, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Yeah, thanks for having me, Gene. The Tech Night Owl Live is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. We'll be back next week. Same bad time, same bad channel.